What is going on, everybody? You are listening to the Playing On Podcast. My name is Carl Markowski, and I thank you for joining me. This episode is brought to you by Melovio, the CBD company, the CBD superstore. That is just, has hands down had the CBD that's been working for me. Uh, I've been working with them for uh, you know a couple of years now, and everything that I've used, I've had, uh, I've had really good really good results with and I want to share them with you and uh, not only are their products amazing but the company is is great as well they are actually running a limited run of Tim Montressor Memorial uh, shirts at the moment and all proceeds will be donated to that fund to that Tim Montressor Memorial Fund um, which I think is an amazing thing you know any any little any little thing helps, and uh, for, for them to be doing this is is just awesome. It's such a great thing, and it really shows uh, Tim's drive and how many people and lives he's he's touched. It's a great thing, man, and uh, I'm glad that they're supporting him. And please head over and uh, take a look at the shirts, and, and if you want to help out, uh, please do. It's uh, they're doing a great thing over there. And if you're looking at products, they have CBD oil, they have topical salves, they have flour, they have things for your pets, they have edibles, they have all kinds of uh, all kinds of products. That's melovio.com, M-E-L-L-O-V-E-O.com. And if you use the promo code capital T P O P, you will get 15% off your entire order, which is super awesome awesomeness. So um, make sure you hit them up. Thank you, Melabio. We are also brought to you by Charm City Paintball. Uh, I have some headbands coming out, and I have been working with uh, with Mike from Charm City for for a good deal of time now, and it has been uh, it's been great, man. the The quality of work that he puts out is just amazing. His his attention to detail is is so awesome to see in all of his work. And all the lines are so clean. The materials and the fabrics that he uses are amazing. Um, and you can find everything that he puts out over on his Facebook page and the Instagram page for Charm City Paintball. So, uh, so yeah, make sure when you hit him up, let him know that Carl from the Playing On Podcast sent you over there. Another big thank you to all the patrons, uh, the patrons on my Patreon page. Uh, it's it really means a lot to be getting support from everybody um, especially in times like this and to be able to help produce uh, this show so I really appreciate it if you guys have any questions uh, go ahead and uh, head over to uh, the playing on podcast.com that has a link to the patreon page but then also has a link for any kind of emails or you know for questions or concerns or or just comments that you guys have you can uh, you can chit chat with me on uh, over there and you can also see any info that you want about the uh, podcast itself. Uh, but that that website is brought to you by Constant Pursuit, which is Mr. Rusty Glaze um, doing it up. He's I believe he's doing the uh, the play the game podcast website, and he's helping those guys out. Uh, make sure you guys check them out. That is Marcelo uh, Margot and uh, Tyler Harmon, and they've been doing some amazing work over there. It's it's great to see content being uh, being put out, but. It's it's just it's just awesome. We need more content, especially in times like these. So so yeah. So anyway, this episode is with the one and only Maddie Marshall. It is uh, it is 
so cool that I can say that I'm friends with uh, with one of the greats and to be able to kind of pick his brain about his thought process and his his life coming up through the sport and our our different experiences that we had in the same moments uh, was really cool to to uh, to hear about and just kind of reminisce about and uh, you know as we go through the podcast and, and we, we were talking for a while uh, you you get a really good idea of the amount of passion that this this guy has for uh, the work that he's done and, and the sport itself and the people in the sport and he has a really really interesting perspective um, just being in the trenches and being on ground zero of everything that ever happens uh, with this sport and it's it's really it's really really interesting and I had a great time with him I, had, I we laughed we were you know the emotional roller coaster is is amazing so um, but yeah enough of my gabbing um, here is the podcast with the one and only Maddie Marshall see where the conversation takes us I'm gonna say since probably I don't know since I started this damn podcast that I've been wanting to get you on which has been like 2017 or something and you are like this elusive being of vocal dominance inside of the paintball community and I and like that's obviously one part of uh, of who you are but to me you you're so much more um, just as a, as a friend, an older brother that I never had, um, there's, you have so many different aspects and that's why I want to get you on here because of your knowledge, because of your history, uh, because there's a lot of things that I feel like now we can talk about that we maybe weren't able to, uh, during, you know, certain situations or circumstances back then. But, uh, but also there's been a lot of time in between and I, and I feel like I've been able to at least gain, uh, a decent opinion on things now, um, if that makes any sense. But uh, but yeah, if my point is, I'm glad to have you on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, let's do it. Are we live right now, or what? Are, are we? Uh, are we? Go, is there like? I know, is there like an intro you run, or are we? That just, was my we intro. Here? We're That's we're in. Intro. <laughs> we're in. All right, tight. Yeah, man, I'm I'm down to talk about. Look, I love you. I'm down to talk about whatever. I still. It's funny because you still kind of look exactly like the Carl Morkowski that was sleeping on my couch crushing two carne asada burritos in a row, which is impressive because only a few people have ever done that. I, we would take people to eat at Roberto's uh, uh, right down the street from where we were living on the beach, yeah. and only a couple times did somebody go eat one, come back to the house, crush it, and then immediately go back and get another one. You were one of those people. <laughs> um, but you look the same, bro. You haven't aged, whereas I've gotten old as fuck. So, you know, I just lost my hair. I got a grass beard. <laughs> um, I haven't quite got super fat yet, but I've got, you know, a few like man size LBs, you know, but I, I, I wear them with pride. Yeah, that's OK. We, we all we all get to a point where it's like it's going to happen. I think there's there's two different kinds of people because I've I've been losing mine as well. I've been losing mine. I've been uh, I've been gray since I don't know how long. I've been gray for a while. It's trendy now, though, so it's okay. Where is it? I don't see the gray oh, in your beard. It's Where's hidden. Gray, Believe oh, me, got, it's you hidden. Got the, the monkey with a gun hat that you have uh, <laughs> hiding it right there. Yeah. Is that a monkey with a gun hat? Oh, absolutely. Dude, I've been – so I have my little collection of just uh, – dude, so I have this I have this sticker. I don't know if Pat ever showed you these, but these are misprinted uh, monkey with a gun stickers. I have a sticker – I'm such a paintball nerd. I have a, 
a paintball pile sticker load over here with like the old ones and the uh and the new ones they're like what like 15 20 years old now something like that but love it yeah i was uh i watched the other day i watched heroes for a day i watched serial killers uh, I just watched Obscure Influence by by Durder, and I've just yeah, been Rob. on this kind of paintball, old school paintball band. And I don't even call it old school. I think it's because old school to me, it's is, old school, dog. <laughs> and for now, I mean, as much as I appreciate that, but you are too getting old. You got kids and shit. You are, you know, we are we're getting up there, my friend. So it is yeah. a little, it's a little old school. That's well, yeah. What is old school paintball to you then? Is that more kind of woods ball? circa like early 90s shit or like you define it to to what you think all right i would say old school paintball is whatever generation of paintball was right before you started so Mm -hmm. for me old school paintball was um was still like dynasty just coming up was uh was iron man wearing i3s or whatever it was uh Mm -hmm. those hard ass just eggshell fucking uh, hard to get the lenses in and out. Probably never change the lens. Yeah, when you got shot, it would just send ninja stars of paint directly <laughs> into your face. Yeah, I remember that. How can I um, forget? Yeah, uh, so I would say 0203 for me is like old school paintball. But for and then obviously, um, you know, as I got into it, now I would I would call what I started playing early was old school paintball. But I think the older you go, I would call that more or less like vintage paintball in a way okay um but i mean i don't know how would you how would you describe it i mean it's i think that uh, old school paintball to me old school is anything that is not in the confines or context of like airball uh or i'd say so anything previous to right around like because there was i mean we could discuss this the you know the, the transition of the of the different big kind of epochs you could almost call them of 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 paintball Mm -hmm. but but there was what i consider the golden age of paintball which is where pat was making his films and kind of where i cut my teeth but that time period between when we were switching completely out of the woods before it got to be completely x-ball 100 i mean that was essentially 1998 until 2003 because once 2003 rolled around after 2002 that's when 10 man stopped even though in 2003 they still had a couple 10 man events but um, but that's when thing that was the real big kind of epoch change, the big move into what is kind of what we've been seeing since then with various refinements, you know. And then you had Seven Man and that sort of you know embracement of that specific format with the MPPL and and the Millennium Series overseas with Seven Man for a long time. So for me, old school paintball in my mind, and again this is you know filtered through my interpretation and my history of it, but. Uh, I think that to me the dividing line is kind of when we were, were were we playing in the woods or were we not playing in the woods once we went out of the woods and put on face masks and things got way more athletic and young phenoms like yourself kind of came in and speed was a was came at a premium and then things really changed because it really changed what the game was and who played it um so to me that's kind of the dividing line yeah well i guess i never played uh i never was able to play woods ball at that time i never i i didn't come up through woods ball paintball like i got i got kind of thrust into the tournament scene fairly quickly my only woods ball experience obviously prior to the you know the icc um 
and ICPLs and everything, kind of the, the resurgence that's happening now, the only thing that I've had exposure to as far as woodsball go was when I very first started playing. And Did you start in the woods? I, I Technically, yes. My very first time playing paintball was in the woods with – 3% vision out of my goggles because they were, they were who knows how old. And, um, but yeah, my first experience was in the woods, but I would say maybe I played less than five, well, I, maybe less than three times in the woods. So I guess twice or once. Um, and then I went right to like finding an indoor place, seeing competitive paintball on the kind of the, the airball side, I guess. And that kind of drew me right away. And I had no interest of playing the woods anymore. What was it that I always just wonder too, and I don't mean I don't want to turn this around and have me being interviewing you, but I I would like it to go back and forth because I'm interested in this because it it's always fascinating to me what is it about the game of paintball because I think this will then be something as that we could use as a signpost to further a conversation. But you know what was it about the game that intrigued you? Because for me personally, I just wanted to play war, like yeah. that's what it was. I mean, to me, it was growing up on a canyon in San Diego and you know, shooting BB guns at a lot of things we shouldn't have been shooting BB guns at, uh, and just kind of living that Southern California, a similar lifestyle that a lot of kids led. Mine just happened to be on a Canyon in San Diego. We didn't really have woods, so to speak. I mean, mm-hmm. there were trees, but you had to go all the way down to the bottom of the Canyon in the like to the Valley that separated essentially Linda Vista and Claremont, the two places, you know, that where, where I was, you know, I lived in the Southern tip of Claremont in San Diego on a Canyon called Tecolote. Um, so we didn't have trees really, you know, it was like shrub brush and cactus and rattlesnakes and, um, but we did have some trees, but that was kind of, so I, but to me growing up in that environment and then, you know, always loving guns as a kid and, you know, I wasn't a violent kid, but I was a boy and, you know, not that girls can't love it too, but I just kind of gravitated towards those things. I remember Roy Richards, uh, mom telling me a story and she's a very peaceful woman, um, very much a child of her time and. <laughs> very you know nice and methodical in her speech and she was like you know i really tried to do my due diligence to keep guns away from roy but you know he just there's nothing i could do because he would just even without even seeing guns he would just made a gun out of blocks (laughs) and i knew that that was just something that was going to be in his future in some way shape or form you know so Mm -hmm. and, and i was that same sort of kid so um to me i got into it because and there wasn't anything else at the time that's what it was in 1993 when i first went and played paintball and I also couldn't see out of my goggles and had 5% <laughs> visibility because I was wearing shitty rental goggles that were immediately fogging up the second that I put them on. And, yep. But, um, but yeah, and, but I, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to, you know, Cowboys and Indians, man. I wanted to play war. And so when I found out that that was something you could do and no one would get hurt and it was all just for fun, like I, that transformed my life. I was like, holy shit, this is, I can't believe this is a thing. I can't believe it took me this long to find this thing mm-hmm. and my god this is such a potent experience that this is kind of all i want to do yeah um but that was my own story but you said that so you went and played woods but you gravitated more towards because air or, like there, first of all there was no airball in 1993 we had what we called speedball but that existed on that was like plywood bunkers it was there was one smaller field that we would occasionally you know because i ended up wrapping at that field at borderland paintball park and it was one of the jobs i had when i was growing up um but we, and we would take people to play on the speedball field. But at the end of the day, I would try to get the older guys to go play speedball and nobody wanted, nobody wanted to do it. They were like, nah, it's lame, dude. We don't want to do that. We played yeah. paintballs played 10 man in the woods, 25 minutes. Like that's man paintball. This is baby shit. Uh, we don't really want to do it, but it's funny. Cause that's then what we, where we ended up kind of going for visibility's sake. And there is a direct narrative 
and a very I mean there's a very there are there were very specific decisions made by powers that be to take us on the route that we went down um, for I think logical reasons it makes sense we can discuss that history too but I was yeah. just wondering like what was the innate draw about and what year was this for you then that we're talking about this was probably like 2002 ish okay um, yeah I'd say around 2002 I got it I got deep really quick um, but I think for me well I don't think I, I know for me it was I wasn't the the brightest kid or at least I told myself I wasn't right it, it was a big thing of uh, not having the right mindset when I was young meaning simply I didn't assert myself in where I should have um, so, but what I think the the draw was for me to the airball side it was it was it was very black and white right when I saw the airball field I was like okay you you try and eliminate the other team you go here and like it's it's super easy to di- to digest when I looked at it I was like okay perfect but when I looked at the woods it was like brush and this and interlining you know you know all this shit that was in the way and it just it just seemed very blocked and when I looked at this I was like super clear objective knew exactly kind of what I wanted to do and it it kind of resonated for me on uh fast and aggressive and just kind of like that that intense kind of moment and I was just like I hooked right away where you know, as you were saying in the woods for the old man ball, 25 minute games, it was just kind of like this eventually something's gonna happen kind of a thing. And, uh, I was like, I just can't, I can't do that. I got my mind's too, at the time being a 16 year old kid, I was like, my attention's like, I gotta go. I gotta do, I gotta do something. And that just, it kept my attention. And I, I think paintball, and I don't know if this happens in, in every young man or young woman's life, uh, but it happened for me with, you know, something has to catch your attention, right? Like skateboarding, snowboarding, all this stuff, it caught my attention. It drew me in. But for some reason, paintball sunk its fangs into me and drew me in, you know? And it's, and it's weird because, you know, I think of all the stuff that I, I considered myself obsessed with. And I was like, I want to do this. I want to do this. And my, and my mom and my parents are getting pissed because I'm, I'm wanting to do a million different things. And then paintball comes up and I'm like, oh, okay, another thing we got to spend money on and this and that. But mm-hmm. I was like, I like, no, this is, this is completely different. This is like, this is a, you know, not to quote Disney, but this is like a whole new world. Like this is my, <laughs> I, my eyes have it's been open. It's a whole new world. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I've, I've really started to dig a lot deeper in the history of the game in in the way that I wanted to kind of tackle this new thing than I have in any other extreme sport or any regular sport because I love baseball too I hate watching it on TV but I love I love playing baseball and you know in and other sports but I, I didn't maybe I did those because I felt like it was normal like it was it was necessary to do those kind of sports and this was so niche this was so something that nobody ever at least in my neighborhood or my area never really heard of or did and maybe that's what drew me so much to it yeah i i it was there wasn't a lot of people that did it in our area too i mean we there were people that had played it but it was still a relatively new thing but yeah man it got me hard right away i mean i i remember leaving that very first day yeah like you know, like there was literally two minutes ago and uh, driving home and thinking like, dude, I, I want to do that now. I want to do this again. How do I do this? <laughs> yeah. And and then 
very quickly it became a really big part of my life because I was, you know, it's like the, you know, quote, it's like right place, right time, right talent. And, uh, and I just, it kind of dove into it about as fast as and quick as I possibly could um, from a very early age. But it, it definitely, it, it sunk its claws into me because it was, it was just such an incredibly vivid and potent experience. I mean, the adrenaline rush you got, you know, I grew up, you know, biked and skated. And I mean, I grew up in San Diego, man. We had like anything you wanted to do, we could do. Mm -hmm. um, and I played baseball growing up, was playing, you know, football at the time in high school too. And, um, but it just, I found paintball and it just was like a, like a cosmic puzzle piece just sunk itself in to my soul. And I was like, dude, this is what I think I'm here to do. Yeah. And, uh, and it just fit so perfectly. Um, and it, and it always has. And, and, uh, and, I mean, yeah, there's been obviously a, a long road along the way, but, um, but just from an immediate standpoint and, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I had had dreams about something like paintball before I even played it when I was a kid, you know, just cause I, really? That, yeah, for sure. I mean, I remember having um, very vivid dreams about there being some sort of like war thing when I was like eight years old, hmm. where I'm like participating in some sort of war, but we all live at the end and it's like a game. And then when I found out that there was a thing called paintball, I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. So yeah, it's, but it is, it, it has a, an incredibly potent grip on, on a psyche or it can, it's not for everybody though. But I think that that's kind of like, you know, over time, that's something that I had to pull myself out of and have to look at it from an objective perspective in order to try to um, create certain types of media, whether it, when I was writing for all the magazines back then when we had magazines um, or when I was doing stuff for working with the documentarian filmmaker guys. Um, God bless all those guys, uh, the Rob Durs and the Patrick Sporers and the Dan Napolis. Um, got to work with all those guys. I actually did. I ever tell you the story of how I met Rob Durder. Mm -mm. <laughs> it's hilarious so um so i i was uh before i went to san diego state and i was working a bunch of jobs and trying to you know i was playing pro paint for playing tournament paintball and so i think i was like 17 or because i went to college and i graduated when i was 17 i think it was when i was 17 or 18 so i'm going to mesa community college before i transferred over to san diego state and because uh, i was the much cheaper i thought smarter road to go um because you still got the same degree and saved a bunch of money mm -hmm. so uh so I went to, and, um, so anyway, so I, I, but I had heard that taking an acting class would be really good for you because, and I would, I would advise, Hey, if you guys, if you're in school or you have access to take an acting class, take an acting class. I learned so much about myself. It's almost like a psychology class. It, absolutely. It really is. It's, it's such a, it's a mind bending experience. I had, and I had a lot of really crazy experiences just when the framework of that one semester that I was, that I took this acting class. Um, but in that acting class, there was another student there and his name was Rob Astamendi. And, and so this that's is, his last name. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. you, ever, you know, Rob Durder, but Astamendi is his actual last name. And, uh, and so Rob was, a you know, another San Diego guy. And, um, so we kind of befriended each other so much so that I went down to hang out where he was staying down by the beach and went to one of his parties and we kicked it, you know, drank some beers and stuff. And then we did a scene together. We were the odd couple. So, so I, you know, met Rob and then fast forward maybe two years later and I'm down at P, uh, PB bar and grill, which is now defunct, but was like a really big, huge bar down here by the beach in Pacific beach where I lived for a long ass time. And, uh, I feel like, and I'm on the dance floor and just having a great time halfway to hammered and I feel a tug on my pants and I look down and I see Rob and he looks up at me and he goes, 
Matty Marshall, and because there was like his two separate, like a, I was on like the. I was top wondering, of was he tier. laying on the ground? <laughs> no, no, it was like a, t- it's like two tier dance floor, and so okay. I was on this tier, and you know, probably trying to talk some chicks or something, and and so uh, and so I feel this tug on, I look down to the bottom tier, and there's Rob, and he's like Matty Marshall, and I was like, dude, Rob, what's up, man? So I didn't see him in a while, and he's like, you play paintball, but dude, it's loud as fuck in there, it's super loud, like I can barely hear him. He's like, you play paintball, and I was like, yeah. I was like, you play paintball too? He's like, dude, I'm on Navarone. I was like, no way, hold on. <laughs> so we just left the dance floor and just went and broed out on paintball, forgetting everyone else that we were there with and anything <laughs> else that existed in the world. Um, because he had got on Navarone. I wasn't on that team on the time. I think I was on, I just got on the Ironman, I think. But mm. um, but yeah, so that's how I met Rob because we had literally known each other and become friends in an acting class. And then he went on to you know start Dirter Productions. And so that's, that's how I met Rob. That's um, so funny. Yeah, crazy, uh, crazy. But I feel but, like we um, have all yeah. we have a bunch of those stories to go over, go over because there's there's a bunch of people that we both know that I want to know stories about, and there's there's the story that I want to bring up that I want to know if you remember of when you taught me how to drive stick in your truck. <laughs> Vaguely, <laughs> I think I blocked that out, but I I think didn't you pick it up pretty quick though, right? When I was we were in a place. Well, you tell me your, your remember, your, what you remember of it, and then we can go from there. But okay. Yes. All right. And well, uh, so this is what I remember. So we were, I had to take you somewhere or bring you back or something because I remember it was, uh, you were living with maybe Ryan at the, no, I don't know. Um, you, you guys, you've lived with so many different people. I'm trying to remember. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of them. Yes. But it was yes. probably, I had to drop you off somewhere, pick you up somewhere, and I had to take your truck. But I remember it was a single cab. It had like black rails on the back and everything. Yeah, Ford it, pickup truck with the rail with like a rack on the back. Yeah, yes. like a workman's truck. Yeah. yeah. And I, I swear to God, when I first started going to California for all the practices and everything, all the California dudes had older tr- single cab trucks that had like a million miles on them, but they're all highway miles. <laughs> That's all yeah. I remember. But um, it it was you're like okay, you're gonna have to pick me up. Or you're gonna drop me off. Do this, and I was like I, I can't I can't do that. And you're like, why, why, what do you mean? I was like, I don't know how to drive stick. You're like, you don't know how to drive stick. Christ, get in the damn car. And we get, and like literally right then it was like, you, you like, you have to learn. You, it, you are not a man until you drive a fucking stick shift car. So like immediately we still, we went to a parking lot and I, and I learned how, and I told you, I was like, okay, I'm going to go home. And I'm going to sell my automatic truck and I'm going to buy a stick shift. And that's exactly what I did. I went home and I bought a little stick shift, five speed. Cheers. Cheers, <laughs> brother. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and yeah. And then I now, from now on, everybody who doesn't know how to drive a stick and they're thinking about it, I tell them exactly what you told me. I was like, fucking learn how. Dude, you have to. Like, I understand we don't really have that many stick shifts anymore, but dude, what if like something happens to me? You have to drive me to the fucking hospital and you yeah. don't know how to drive a stick shift and I'm going to die. Because you don't know how to drive a stick shift? Oh, hell no. Yep. And it's not really that hard, even though that's like one of the – that was not an easy truck to necessarily learn how to drive a stick on. <laughs> you know, a little like uh, Jetta probably would have been way easier. But even though Jetta's, you got to like push the, the stick in to get to reverse. So that can oh, be a yeah. little confusing. But um, but yeah, no, actually it was funny. We were doing a, a gig in in, um, in France in Chartres uh, like three years ago. And um, something broke. And so uh, – no one that was there at the time could drive a stick shift. And I got so pissed at Nick. I love Nick Sloviak, but I was like, so I'm like, just Nick, take the car. And they're, and they're, and then I, the, uh, they give me the phone. They're like, and so Darren's calling in from Florida or whatever. And he's like, Darren wants to talk to you. He's like, Maddie, 
you have to drive into town. And I'm like, I have to drive into town. I'm the one that has to drive into town. Like, that's the move right now. He's like, yeah. I'm like, why? He's like, you're literally the only person that can drive a stick shift. And we can't send Peb because Peb's literally pushing buttons. So Peb can drive a stick shift, but he can't go because then and I was like, great. Mm-hmm. So then I was like, got pissed at Nick. I'm like, can't drive a stick shift? Really? God damn. You should have told him to shave his beard right there. You can't. Yeah, I know. And again, <laughs> love Nick Sloviak and he is very much a man. But I was, I was shocked that he could not drive a stick shift. Yeah. So, uh, yes, I, but I just, I get it. There's not a lot of stick shifts around in these days, but yes, I do. I remember that. Dude, yeah. that's how you solve texting and driving. Yeah. Make everyone drive a stick shift again. No, because exactly. you gotta, you gotta pay attention to that shit. It's a lot harder to start, you know, getting into the portal when you have to, you know, actually physically maneuver that car into another gear. Exactly. Um, so yeah, though I did, it was funny cause I, I bought a newer car last year cause the other car that I had was just on its last legs and it was time. Um, but I had to, you know, my wife also cannot drive stick. And, uh, so I had to kind of bite the bullet and buy an automatic and it was a sad day in my soul slightly a little bit when I had to end up getting a, an automatic, which they are a lot easier to drive. That is for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. You can fall asleep but, the wheel uh, now. but a little part of me died, I think inside when I had to give that up. But, but yeah. Yeah. Dude, those are, I, I just seen the new Ford Broncos that are coming out and you can get those in a stick shift and those are pretty nasty looking. Mm, interesting yeah yeah i thought those were pretty my great-grandfather had a bronco like an 80s bronco and i just remember it being white it was a two-door white with like a red velvet interior and i was like this is awesome i was like (laughs) 10 years old like this is so cool i love those things the the first my uh love my father uh but he wasn't the best teacher so there's not a lot of things actually that he taught me um in a way that he was like, this is how you do this thing. Right. Let me teach you how to do it. Tie my shoes was one, but most other things I kind of had to learn from someone else, playing the guitar, shaving, driving a stick shift, riding a bike, just because my dad's the type of guy, again, I love him to death, but he's the type of dude, he's very stoic, and uh, and he just wants to, he's like, you do it like this, son. And if you can't figure it out that first time, then he starts to get frustrated <laughs> with you. Like, and so, and so, the, and he, so he drove a, uh, a Ford pickup truck for this is I was used to tell him I'm like you should get in one of those commercials he uh he had bought a Ford pickup truck in like 1973 and he drove that for like 20 years and put something like six or seven hundred thousand miles on it and just kept putting clutches and engines in it and just saving his money Mm -hmm. um but so by the time that I started driving in the early to mid 90s and so that's how I had to start learning how to drive a stick shift and it was a you know, again, an ancient Ford pickup truck with stick on the column, which is oh, yeah. just a gigantic three-speed, essentially giant pain in the ass. Fuck that truck. But um, <laughs> but yeah, so my first lesson on trying to learn how to stick shift involved uh, us getting into an argument about a half mile from home and then me telling uh, him to go fuck himself and getting out of the car, slamming the car door and walking home. That was my first, that was my first <laughs> entree into driving a stick shift. Uh, but uh, but I ended up learning how to do it. So yeah. yeah, it was cool that I got to learn from you though. That was a cool non paintball thing. Obviously, there's others, but that was one cool non paintball thing that I I learned from you. I can, I think I kind of I kind of gravitated towards you a little bit more. Um, obviously, there were guys that I felt like were more intense on the outside, but as far as mentally, you really kind of drew me towards you. Um, you have this very um, older brother feel when I was on the team. I mean, still to this day and, and and all of you guys do but you in general kind of 
um, you really had me think about the way I played more um, rather than just kind of you know, getting the fundamentals down and obviously this is one things that I had to do once I got on the team which I wanted to kind of hear it from your end because I don't know if it was you that I talked to or that uh, I, I love to tell the, I love to tell the Carl Markowski story I tell this story still to this day <laughs> you were one you were one of my favorite players bro like I'm not just saying that because I'm on your show I've told you this off camera before but um, you were just one of my favorite character characters one but but players just because you had there was just I just saw this and well first of all you were you had you were the fastest dude I ever saw and and it wasn't just your your top speed it was the way you used your speed as a weapon and then when I met you you were just a really chill good soul you know I could tell you were a good human being you were super young when we first kind of you know got you under our wing so but I but I just you know, like, I, it just made sense to kind of be like, oh, let's get Carl in here. Like, come on, Carl. Yeah, you're fucking, <laughs> I love you, dude. You're the, you're the man. And you're going to be amazing. Um, but, I, but it was, but I also saw the fact that because, you know, there wasn't really much that we had to, tweet, like, physic, from your physical skill capability, you were always amazingly good. I and mean, even when you first came on the team, you were super raw, but you still had, a, you know, an amazing snapshot. You were a good gunfighter. You weren't scared to go. You were blazing, blazing, the fastest dude we'd ever seen. I mean, you had a lot of these assets where it was like a no-brainer. Let's get this kid on the team and we'll work with him. But then that year when we won with the uh, excess energy, with energy, that was that was like when I really saw you blossom as a player because you weren't just a one-trick pony. You know, it wasn't like you were you weren't you had stopped becoming just a missile and you started to be really flower as a, as like a well-rounded attacker. Um, and I would just see you do stuff that I still haven't really seen a lot of other human beings ever do. And I've watched more paintball than anyone. I mean, I don't really think anyone's ever, I would put that to the test. I don't think anyone's watched more paintball. <laughs> That's a lot of paintball. Yeah. You know, like I, I've just because of my jobs, especially for the past 10 years ish. But, but before that, I mean, when I was a kid, I was stuck to the sidelines. I refereed a shit ton. So, I mean, I, I mean, since I've been about 15 and a half, I've been watching as much paintball as I possibly could. And I, dude, I've, I've never really seen. I mean, even the Oliver Langs of the world, the Mouse Goldmans of the world. I mean, you've done stuff that equals their powers in certain situations. Just pulling off crazy shit, run-throughs that other people can't do, and you know, breaking open games where we were kind of stuck and we needed somebody. Like, so I used to tell Oliver, like, have a game. I'd say that same thing to you sometimes. You know, like Carl, let's. We need you to have a game, baby. Let's go. You know, and you would just pop up and run through and break shit open, and we clean it up and we'd win. You know, you were one of the big reasons that we were able to win that other pro spot and then go and take third place at Huntington Beach that next year. Um, but I remember that when uh, when Rich came over to me in, um, I think we were in Vegas. Was it Vegas? Mm -hmm. what, what? Yeah, it was Vegas. And he's like, yo, I need you to watch this kid. Uh, he's on Titman Effect, and his name's Carl Markowski. And I was like, okay. And he's like, he, you know, so Rich tells me, he's like, he's supposed to be insanely fast. I've heard this before. We'll see, you know. So, I wonder you know, how I he. Going, I wonder how he heard about it. I don't know. I don't know. And I love Rich, but his memory is starting to get a little suspect <laughs> these days because uh, um, that dude has been doing really gnarly shit his whole life. I mm -hmm. love Rich, uh, but you know, uh, but yeah. So he he had said that I needed to watch out for you, but you had come up to me or me because I don't. And to this day, and I don't really know exactly how that the timeline worked on that because you came up to me at that event and you had said hey you know maddie can i talk to you real quick i'm like yeah you're like you know i'm carl markowski but i had, but i had heard of you and i'm trying to remember exactly where i heard had heard of you before 
because you did you came up to me and 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 said something like hey you know i'm interested to get on the team that sort of thing but i had already heard about you and i just couldn't remember because bro there was so much shit going on back then that in order to remember exactly like, i remember a lot of things and i have a pretty solid gold memory but where exactly specifically the very first time someone was like yo carl markowski I, I don't exactly remember it was that weekend but and i think somebody had come i think what it was was somebody had come up did you have any anybody that was like uh that that knew, not necessarily knew us or did somebody or, or was there somebody in that camp or because i think that there was like an entree made somehow some way i can't remember exactly what it was or maybe we played against you i i think that might have been it too I know we played. It, we I know played, we played against you guys. Um, I think that might have been it. It I was think, like a, it think, was the yeah. It was like I think it was the Angel Field. There was a diamond, and both Thomas and I both slid in there, or something. You know, something that like happened. But um, from from what I can remember was I was getting ready to move to Seattle, and at that time I was like, you know, fuck it. I'm you know I'm I'm not gonna be playing for Titman anymore. I really got to figure out like what I'm going to do because um, I want to keep, I want to keep pursuing this paintball dream that we all have. And, uh, but I was really adamant on just like continuing in this somehow. But, but what I wanted to do was I wanted to go pro because I actually turned pro with Titman effect in seven man that year in 2004. And that's where we played We played you guys in Vegas, but I think we also played you guys earlier in the year at some yeah, seven man event. Because we so had too. some we had some big games that year, um, I think we almost beat we almost beat Dynasty in like Denver. We took them down to like two or three. We beat Arsenal. Um, we we beat a, a couple really good teams, and um, in uh, in Vegas everything was kind of ending. The the, the, the season was going to end or something something like that was happening. But I was moving to Seattle, and I was like I was like fuck it, I'm going to go try out for the Naughty Dogs because they're out of the, out of that area. And um, I was looking for um, oh shit, what was his name? He ran. He was kind of like uh, I can't think of his name. He ran the Naughty Dogs. He was an older. He kind of hunched over a little bit, and he um, he dub. Yeah. He yes. Dubbed. Yep. Yep. Yeah. 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 He's and, an old uh, NFL player. He played in the yeah. NFL. Yeah. Dude, he yeah. looked so rough. Even back then, he was like, yeah. you could tell that dude was some, through some shit. But uh, yeah. But I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go talk to him, and then I pretty much I found him, and I was like, hey blah 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 life story can you please watch some of my games because i'm moving into this area and i would love to come try out for your team went great yes 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 literally i think we played a game and then rich came up to me and i was kind of like huh and he came up to me he goes hey i really uh i'm really like you on the team um i need you to go give your info over to maddie marshall i need you to find him i need you to give your information and yeah. uh and we, I'd really like you to come out and try out for the team. And I was stunned at the time. I didn't really, was probably stumbling over my words. But I remember telling him, uh, I remember telling him, I was like, I actually have a tryout for the Naughty Dogs. And I was like super naive and everything. And I didn't yeah, really we know what like, to say to him. He goes, we yeah, like, okay. The, and he no, yeah. just leaves. He just peaced out? Like, he peaced out after that? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, fuck. So uh, later, I, later that, that night, I go back to my teammates on Titman and I'm like, Hey, Rich Telford came up to me and uh, and wanted me to try out for the team. But then I also have a Naughty Dogs thing that I'm trying to get going. And all my team members like are like, what the fuck are you doing? Go find Rich tomorrow morning and get on that damn team. So that's when I found you and uh, proceeded to give you all my information. And uh, 
Yeah, yeah. and then it, but just and then I it became quickly apparent once because you never know, man. I mean, we've just I've, I've been involved so many times with young up and coming talent. You were particularly talented. Again, this you can't teach speed, and the fact that you were so fast, so ridiculously fast that it was just. I mean, that definitely got you more more chances. And not that, you know, you were a good kid, so it's not like you were a shithead that we needed to deal with and like, oh, fucking here's Carl again, dude. God damn it. Oh, this guy drives us crazy. It was never that. So, um, so it, but it became blatantly apparent once we started bringing you to practices that you were going to be a weapon for us. But, you know, typical young, aggressive guy, you would die early and make poor gunfighting decisions like everyone does when yeah. they're in those situations when they're young. <laughs> It's just a it's a plague of youth. It, it is what it is, and the quicker you can cure yourself of that, the better. Um, but it's difficult, and uh, and so that was kind of. But then you know, then we you'd come down and sleep on my couch, and you know, eat carne asada burritos. But I got to talk to you a bunch, and I realized like this is a he's a really good dude. The thing that was like, you know, you were incredible. I just wish that you believed in yourself more. Like if you could go back and do it all over again, I just wish if you had had like Oliver's cockiness, then you probably would have been an even bigger player than you were. I mean, not to say you weren't a huge player. I mean, everyone knew how good you were. You were one of the best when you were on, and you were one of my favorite players ever to play with or to watch play. But I felt that, and I and I will use you sometimes as an example to guys that need to gain confidence. And I would I would say, you know, Carl, he had to fight against his own demons, and the less you have to fight against yourself, the easier it is to fight against the world. Because I feel that because you're such a good person, you have a good soul, that you would beat yourself up too much and, and be a little less confident. And so, you know, I had to be careful with my criticism with you because I could go up to Nick Cuba, slap in the face and tell him he fucking sucked and he would play twice as good the next game. I couldn't do that to you. I had to kind of make sure that, you know, I was would have to, you know, roll with the sandwich effect. Be like, oh, you did really good at this, but I need you to do this, but also you're the man, you know, like just because... Um, because you would beat your own, you would beat yourself up so much. And that was just, uh, I just, I felt that that kept, but that is, but that's, everyone has their own thing. I did that same thing a lot. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I, one of the big profound moments for me was a, a conversation I had with Shane Pastana, I believe in late 1998, early 1999, um, when I was working at Die, and I, I remember Dave came out, he's like, Shane's on the phone, he wants, or no, it was Brian Benini, he's like, Shane wants to talk to you. So I go in and he's like, Hey, what's up, Daddy? You know, he always used to say that. He's like, "What's up, Daddy? How you doing?" I'm like, "I'm doing good, man. How you doing?" He's like, "Just wanted to talk to you about the upcoming year." And he basically challenged me. He said, "Look, man, you you could be in a, you could be in a, you could be one of the greats, but you second guess yourself way too much. You're your own worst enemy. You're your own worst critic. And if you can't solve that problem, it's going to be hard for you to be to start on this team and maybe even to be on this team. So I need you to." And I really need, you know, the, as, as you well know, the axe is sharp. Shane used to say that all the time to us. And um, I need you to go out and believe in yourself and show me what you got. Because I really, truly think that if you embrace your, your inner greatness, that you could be a huge asset to this team. And so that year, I just went out and stopped second-guessing myself. And then made the team and started as a front player. And then, and then at the end of the year, we needed a back player. And then Shane was like, I need a guy who's got a really big, booming voice that has front player instincts and can close games. I need you to play in the back, and I didn't want to do that. But, um, but it was, but I, so I could, I, when I saw the struggles you were going through, I totally related because I was there myself. Mm -hmm. And I, I know exactly what's that, what, what that is like and how hard that is. That's probably one of the hardest things, period. I think it's way harder to deal with that than overconfidence or over battling. 
because that's a relatively easy fix because there's nothing that the people can say to you if you are the type of person that second guesses yourself too much. You know, like that is something that you have to fix inside your own head. No one else can really do it. They can tell you and they can highlight that, that that's something you got to work on, but that's a really difficult fix. But but as you kind of went through, you start you did fix that and then you became more confident in your abilities and then be, became a solid you know, amazing pro player for a long period of time on a lot of good teams. And I was just felt blessed that I was able to be there at the very, very beginning <laughs> to kind of see, you know, baby Carl there. Um, so it was just, it was awesome, dude. It was really cool. And like I said, dude, you're still like, you're one of my favorite players that I ever played with just because it was so fun to play behind you because you would just do the craziest shit sometimes. <laughs> and I got to help clean those games up. And I would just to see the the look of shock in, in, in opponents' faces when you're on their side of the field and I get to shoot them in the side after you already went and got a couple of them. It was just, it was a joy, you know? So it, it was it was a really cool thing. So I was, it was super stoked we got to play some, and, and we had some success together, you know? We so did, we, got to, we did. Yeah. And I, I, dude, I, I appreciate all the kind words, believe me. Um, and I, I think it's easy to talk about and in, in to kind of, teach people on this now because obviously I'm at a different stage in my life <clears throat> um, but I did I struggled with that for a long time I had really bad acne when I was a kid mm-hmm. and that I mean that's kind of one of those things where if like it's like you know a kid is is fat or this and that it, that's something that and kids are ruthless man they, they will they will pick on you because they have nothing else to do <laughs> like that's that's what they do kids are mean and bored most oh, of the exactly time. They're yeah. very mean and they're very bored. Yeah, and uh, and and that kind of hit home uh, right away with me. It was like I and I was bullied as a kid, and um, with paintball and sports in general, like I've always had. There's always been kind of something, and it, you know, I I don't want to say that as an excuse. I just say that as kind of being older now and looking back. There was always like the the coach's son who started in front of me in this night, even though my stats were better. Even though, like, there's there's always some kind of roadblock that that was kind of just not in my control that kind of always held me back, and I think that's another reason why I kind of uh, gravitated towards paintball more is because that that promise and that dream happened and was so bright so quickly that they I was just like boom yes right away and I want to start it, but speed for me was such this blessing and burden um, because the speed was great. I got to spots, you know, and, and, you know, obviously had to learn what to do after that. But a big thing was having people look at me more than just this one-dimensional speed demon, this this person who just can get to spots. Mm-hmm. Um, because for me, like, I enjoyed playing the game. Like that, that for me was enjoyable. It was, it wasn't just getting really far sitting in a spot for five minutes and then, and then going to work. It was, it was getting to a spot that they didn't think I was going to get to and then go to work because they didn't know I was there. And then I can kind of, you know, take advantage of that a little bit. And, um, and when I wasn't, when I wasn't producing, especially early on when I was trying to do too much, I think what, what was going through my head was that. I don't want these guys to think that I'm just a one-dimensional player. So what I need to do is push the push the envelope after the speed fact. So then I would push myself into these 
um, uh, these premature gunfights and these premature moves because I wanted to prove something to I knew I was better than that, but I needed to prove it to you guys. So I would do the initial what you want me to, but then I also wanted to let you know that I was a good paintball player. And this just wasn't you guys. This was just the world in general. Mm-hmm. And and that I needed to I needed to make shit happen. And the way I looked at the game was more of a you know what I'm going to do. Like the other team, you've played paintball long enough to where it's like you you know what the other guy's gonna do for but there's a small portion a small percentage of players where it's like i don't know what the fuck he's gonna do that's and that kind of you know turns that little your game a little bit to where now you have to kind of avert it to focus on this guy just a little bit more because he's a little little more unorthodox than everybody else and that's what i kind of wanted to be because i was like doing something like that is was easy was doing going down the snake you know, hitting the snake and doing a ladder snake and going all the way down was easy to me in my head. I was like, mm-hmm. I want to, I want to do, I want to make it challenging for myself, and I want to kind of snake through and find these these shots where I backed up and do, did all this shit. So mm-hmm. I, I forced a lot of it um, in the beginning, but I, you know, as you said too, you know, that year, um, I think it was the end of '05, um, that San Diego event or no Miami event that we won the pro spot was I, I kind of. I had the confidence, more confidence in myself because I was getting the confidence from you guys and the encouragement that, and, and I don't want to say that you, that I needed coddled. Um, I think there was a, a small probably portion of that, but I think that's what makes great teammates and great coaches is they know how to coach somebody. They know how to coach an individual player. It's just like you said, you, you, you can approach Nikki in one way, but then you can approach uh, Neil or Neil. Uh, yeah. Shout out to fucking yeah, Neil. Yeah, shout out to Neil. I really did. Dude, yeah, I was, I was, I was, I was watching. I get so sidetracked sometimes because shit comes up, but I was That's watching what podcasts it. podcasts are for. They're for tangents. We got oh all my, the time, yeah. bro. We got all the time in the world. That's all this is. One big tangent. Yeah, but big I was, tangent. I was watching the game. I was watching the, uh, the Heroes for a Day, and I was like, I forgot how clutch Neil Eberly was and, and how he was this so low-key just like you never heard him being talked about obviously in the paintball community we knew he was fucking good right but but it, he was never like this this on the outside this level of like people wanted his autograph and this and that and this and that but dude he was so nasty yeah. so clutch he was, you know, and, and it's just, it's, it's, you know, I, I call, I call these things the gift of the game. It, it having to be involved with so many different personalities in such huge pressure situations when there's, you know, a lot at stake. Now, sure, yeah, we were playing for money and we were playing for our team survival and we were playing for pride and glory and all these different things. But, you know, but it didn't matter. Could there could have been? I don't think we would have treated it any differently or played any harder if there was a trillion dollars on the line. You know, if we were playing for our lives, like our literal lives, like at the end, you get lined up and shot in the back of the head if you lose. We, we would have played the game the same way because that's how it, how important it was for us. And when you get involved with that much on the line and how intense everyone is as a personality, you are forced to try to work, find a way to work with these talents and these people and these personalities. So, you know, it's like, especially on a crazy team like Excessive, you know, we had the Rich Telfords of the world, the Micahs, the Davies, the John Richardsons, the Dave Baineses, the Rusty Glazes, the 
you know, Greg Hastings, the Neil Eberly, yourself, you know, I mean, just go, I mean, we had so many, Nikki Vegas, Nikki Cuba. I mean, these were very yeah, shame, intense. Micah, yeah. Yeah. Shame. I, we had, these were intense personalities. And so some more than others, but, but that was, it was nice to have guys like you that were as talented as you were because you weren't a prima donna, you know? So I didn't, I, I knew that I didn't have to coddle your ego that much. Like, yes, I did have to make sure that I, I wasn't, you know, rolling into the pit and motherfucking you because you dropped the lane, you know, because I didn't want you to get into a, a mental hole because we had, you know, scolded you. I wanted you to stay positive. So I would have to say different things to you as a leader on that team in order to get the best game out of you than I would say to, you know, say Nikki Vegas or Nikki Cuba, you know, though I could be way more brutal to them. And sometimes I would be intentionally extra brutal to them and be mean almost in my criticism. Um, because I knew that that would bring the best out of those guys. Mm -hmm. And, and that's kind of, that's what you have to learn. You have to know what it, it is going to take from a, you know, from a mental standpoint, from a coaching standpoint to work with these, 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 these people in, in different ways, try to get them to be their best because we're all on this ship together and you're, we're all fighting on the ramparts together. And if you aren't in that, the, the best head state possible for you, then collectively we're going to be at a deficit. Mm -hmm. And so that that's that that's a big lesson in the game of paintball. And, and I think any team sport, but because paintball is so intense and you don't have a lot of time, you know, in, it, a lot is condensed into a little. So, you know, a, a game, even an X-ball game, even when our X-ball games are longer back in the day, it's a, and then a seven man game, same thing, it's even smaller, but you just don't have a lot of time to perform. And there's a lot at stake. You spend a lot of time preparing for that small amount of time. Mm -hmm. So I just, yeah, it's, but I, uh, but it, thank God for that, man. You know, I, that made me a better human. It made me, so, you know, I, I just think that I'm, I'm sure you going through all that is, is it, it's probably made you a better dad because the fact that you have to now deal with these young emerging souls and think to yourself like, well, okay, well, how am I going to deal with this? And you can't necessarily be reactionary because this is a, that child's mind is growing and it's not going to be able to receive information the way that an adult does. And so you have to kind of temper yourself and 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 the things that you say to that evolving sentient human being mm -hmm. and uh and i just think that that's one of the things that again the gifts of the game that you have with the game of paintballs there's just there's a lot of meat there and when you consciously decide to jump into that at any level this isn't just pro you know i mean i'm pretty sure this is probably hitting a chord with anyone that's listening that's on a paintball team right now if you're on a paintball team you know exactly you know the guys on your team that are crazy assholes that you got to deal with their crazy egos and yeah they think they're god's gift to the game and you got that guy who's probably a little bit more quiet he's better than he thinks he is and you're trying to get him to play his best because he underperforms sometimes because he's his own worst critic and yeah you know and then you got your captain and you know whoever's paying for it i mean there's a lot you know whether that's you cool but i'm just saying that there's just a lot there there's a lot of meat on that uh and I, but that's one of the blessings of it and that's one of the reasons you do it i mean looking back like the actual game itself like playing the game of paintball was for sure an amazing thing to do the wins were great winning was you know uh, that's summoning everest but anyone that's also climbed a mountain like if you go climb mountains i've never climbed everest but i've done a lot of backpacking i put weight on my back i've hiked into the wilderness done crazy you know 50 plus mile trips where you're out in the middle of nowhere and there's no one to help you. If you get out there, your cell phones do not work. We joke, we call, we say the only way out is up uh, <laughs> because, and then somebody's probably going to get sacrificed to the mountain. You don't know how your body's going to, you know, de de deal with elevation until you actually get over 10,000 feet. You don't know what your body's. Just. Some people I've seen very strong men get crippled 
at elevation um, and I didn't think that they were going to get crippled by it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and it's like paintball. You don't really know until you get into you. But if everything's going well, you know, if everything's going well, it's really easy to be a good dude or a good chick. Like, it's really easy. It's really hard to be your best when things aren't their best. And so that's why you intentionally should do things like climb mountains. You should do something like paintball, even if it's not paintball, whatever it may be. But until you actually get into those situations, you don't really know what you're actually made of. And this is my favorite metaphor is that, you know, it's like, you know, until you do boxing or jujitsu or, or paintball or do you do something where like you're actually getting hit in the face, you're getting shot with paintballs, you're getting yelled at by people until you're in those moments and you respond and realize your strength. You don't know you're not made of glass. But once you get through those situations, you're like, oh, dude, I'm not made of glass. I'm way stronger than I thought I was. Mm-hmm. It armors you up for the rest of the, of the rest of your life and the rest of the world. And that, and I remember leaving that, you know, and I had a friend when I was younger ask me, what, what is it about paintball that you love so much? And I just said, I didn't even say that the game was the thing. I just, I loved getting done with the day and leaving and just feeling at inner peace. You know, there, there was just this, all, there, all, every, and this still happens. And I get done with the day of paintball. I just feel at peace. I don't care. I could get a ticket. I could have a ticket on my car for part, whatever. The fuck. It doesn't matter, dude. I just, you've, I've purged the demon mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm kind of, I have this existential sigh, you know, that, that has happened to me where I'm just like, ah, all is right in the world. Whatever happens is cool. I'm cool. Oh, some bad shit's happening. All right, we'll figure a way through that. You know, it just, it just yeah. helps. It helps that out a lot. Um, I just think that that's a, that is one of the best things about the game that exists. And that's one of the reasons that I've been addicted to it for so long. Yeah. And the, the characters in the game are, are so dynamic. I mean, so there do. There's so you you don't realize how many. At least I never did. I mean, I don't think people realize how naive they are living in the town they grew up in and all this shit until you start traveling and going to these these big tournaments and these other and these different cities and everything and you kind of realize how big everything is and. Uh, yeah, it was. It, it, it humanizes it, it humanizes the other. Yeah, it humanizes the other because I feel that you know, look, we are programmed to be tribal. That's one of the that's one of our strengths. That's one of the reasons we've been so successful as human beings is we are able to circle the wagon. Use your metaphor, right? You know, circle the wagons. You know, get on the castle walls. You know, band together in a moment of crisis. But when you do start traveling around it, and when I started playing paintball competitively at a, at the high level, it was way more tribal than it is now. Mm-hmm. It was very, very, very tribal. But as we started traveling around and meeting all these people, you realize that, okay, well, I'm from here and these are the people and I'm, they're on my team. We're all from California and, you know, and then you get a big chip on your shoulder. But then you start hanging out with these people and you realize, like, dude, they're exactly the same as you. Yeah. You know? Even if they speak a different language than when you travel internationally. And, you, you know, I, re- I remember being, I was the very, uh, I think it was the first year we went to Toulouse. And uh, we, were, we were staying at this place called the, uh, the Bowling Center Inn. And uh, or the bowling center hotel. It was on the outskirts of town. So Toulouse is in the south of France, and uh, it actually has a really interesting history because that used to be the seat of the Cathars, which was like there was like a crusade against them. So it was just fascinating history in the south of France. Um, but we got lost the first night. We almost ended up getting going to Spain because we didn't know because there was no cell phones back then. So we mm-hmm. didn't know where we just had like maps out. And so me, Davy, and Billy, uh, Dave Wimson and Billy Wing almost got lost. Come back, and then we ended up. And so that this this place was like a shitty low budget hotel, but it had a bowling alley downstairs, and that was its like claim to fame. So we get stuck 
not stuck actually it was a, it was awesome but um so we're out we're there playing you know just just bowling some some uh just you know getting our bowl on drinking <laughs> some beers and uh and who's next to us but it's the iranian national team so you know you bowling couldn't team? find yeah no or paintball team. <laughs> okay like yeah not not bowling team like they were there <laughs> to play the tournament okay and so now for then for like two or three hours we're kicking it with these Iranian dudes, getting hammered, drinking shitty lager, you know, and just because uh, like Europe still hasn't got to this day, I feel got the message on beers. But anyway, that's a different story. <laughs> but yeah, so we're so we're just we're having a great time and we're we're bowling with the Iranian team, and you know like we're not exactly super friendly with the Iranians with the history of between our two countries, but we were best friends with those dudes for that those two three hours, mm-hmm. and that was one of those moments at you know 20 years old. I think I was 20 that year. And I was like, yeah, 20 or 20, no, maybe 21, but uh, it was right around that age. And I remember hanging out with these guys and thinking, like, these guys are exactly like us. There's no difference. All they care about is their family. They're talking about their families, talking about going to school, you know, talking about paintball. It was funny, though, because they just were convinced they were going to come in and win the tournament. And we're the Ironman, you know, so we're, we're, <laughs> we're like, okay, yeah, sure. They're like, oh, we do these special tactics training. We've been training with the Iranian military. And I'm like, after growing up in San Diego, and, uh, and I actually have a decent amount of stories about doing like tactical training with military uh, mm. people before playing the opposition force, the op four. Um, but we didn't haven't done any of that at that point in time. But these guys were just super overconfident. They were just like, oh yeah, and we were, and we ended up playing, and we beat the shit out of these guys. <laughs> but um, but they were just they were awesome guys. I had an absolute mm-hmm. pleasure ta- just hanging out with those guys and talking to them about their lives and. And then, and that, but that's again one of those things that, that you realize when you travel around is that we're all just kind of the same. We're all human beings. We all care about the same thing. Care about food. Care about our families. We care about our passions. Um, it does get complicated, obviously, going down the political road occasionally. But for the most part, most people don't care about that. Most people, you know, and, and yeah. so that's the the overwhelming thing when you go to these different places and you're just forced to inhabit a space with with these other these uh, the others the other people. Yeah, or a religious road. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah, yeah, for sure. Religion too can throw giant curveballs into uh, into things, you know. Yeah. yeah, I mean, but anyway, but yeah, it was. It just. Uh, it, but that's. But that is one of the other things that makes this game amazing. When you, no matter what level you play it in, but the, and the more you travel, the better. Yeah. So. Yeah. The, yeah. I obviously want to get into your career, and um, and kind of your background. But one thing before we get into that. How did you choose your hats and your headbands that you used to wear? <laughs> because I was watching, I was watching some of them on there too, and I'm like, those are, those are very out there. I, I, but I remember, I remember when I stayed at your apartment, I walked past your room, and I remember seeing this is like early on. I remember seeing that it was like a red dragon hat thing that I remember uh, watching you play and watching you wear, and I was like, oh that red hat that he wears backwards when he plays that drag hat and then i think right next to that was like it was like a blue and white silky looking headband thing it was just like yeah. an interesting choice of headgear well a lot yeah so um look first of all it's a gotta have a gimmick world and i'm not trying to be like everybody else so there you go uh and baseball hats are my thing i have a massive collection of baseball hats and uh and when i came up the uh the cool headgear to wear was a baseball hat forward like this and then just goggles because mm. that's what the Ironman wore. So you would wear your baseball hat like this and, and I'm so pissed dude. this. And I, this is another thing I'd say a lot of, and it's totally different now just because of social media and phones and stuff. But 
you know, we had film back then. So I just, I'm so pissed that I, there's, there, I just remember I had so many cool pictures of me when I was younger, just wearing just goggles and, you know, wearing tiger stripe camouflage and being 16, 17 years old and playing in tournaments. And I just don't have any of those anymore. I went mm-hmm. to my mom. I was like, mom, do you have any of these? Like hoping to God that because she's the keeper of the records and she's like, I don't know, honey, maybe I have some of them in storage, <laughs> but I'm just not exactly sure. I'm like, fuck. So keep, keep your keepsakes because you will regret it when you're my age and now you don't have any of these images. Um, mm-hmm. But it's just, it's a little different now. It's a little easier to keep that stuff. But um, but yeah, so when we came up, uh, the baseball, that, the Ironmen were wearing forward baseball caps with just goggles. And so that's what then, you know, we looked at and as the young up and coming kids, they were the best team out there, especially the best team in our area representing California. So that's what we started emulating. But then also depending on how the goggles changed would also depend on how a, a brim would sit mm-hmm. because the old JTs sit real nice with a with a, a with a relatively flat brim cap. So like right. you guys in the Midwest like to just crease the fuck out of your guys' hats and just like <laughs> just make it so it's like a circle and shit. You gotta go. You gotta go from six a.m. to nine at night <laughs> yeah, to make sure you don't get sun yeah, in your eyes. Just <laughs> all the way over here, and then just uh, I'm like I don't know how you guys can see sometimes. I meet some guys from the Midwest, and there's like. It's all the way down here, and it's like in a circle, and I'm just like, bro, you underneath there? Like, how can you even see? I can't even horse see. blinders. That's all it is. Yeah, horse blinders for sure. <laughs> so, um, so, uh, so then, so then, once we got into the, the 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 dye goggles, they didn't quite fit that way. So then I just started rocking my hat backwards with the brim flipped up on the back part, and then that just became kind of like. You know, everyone's got their own thing because everyone else was rocking sandanas and headbands and stuff, and I was just like, eh. You know, I'm trying to stand out a little bit. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, this is going to be my style that I decide to, to work with. And then, but like that crazy red hat that happened to be a friend of mine who, um, super tragic story. He was uh, this badass. Um, I grew up with this guy, and Robbie Drew was his name. He, and he ended up being an artist. Um, but uh, he had just a super tragic story. So remember, did you come to our apartment when we had that crazy mural? In the um, in it, I don't know if you were around during that period of time. You might have been there for the next apartment that we had. The upstairs apartment was. They were both upstairs, but it, you would have remembered. It was we had this. So when you walked into our apartment, is it the um, one where I sucked out the bong water? Um, I do you remember know. that? I I do not remember that, but that definitely <laughs> sounds like that's about right. And that was probably some disgusting bong water too, because bro, we were not so cleaning gross. our bong on a regular basis. Because <laughs> we, I remember because I couldn't, uh, I couldn't go out and drink with you guys, and you guys were going out, and it was me and I think Jesse, like it was me Lapid. and Jesse, yeah. And I think we yeah. stayed back, and then we smoked out of that bong, and I sucked up the bong water exactly. somehow. Oh That's my god! Super. You probably got a lot of immunity from up to something from doing that because that oh, had bong water had dude. probably not been changed in a while. And it probably looked like murky pond, uh, 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 pond water, but uh, but anyway, so yeah, uh, so so Robbie, um, he was a badass athlete, bro. This guy was like six eight, um, just a, a specimen, like two hundred forty pounds of muscle. Uh, he was a, a collegiate um, a volleyball player at the University of Hawaii. They actually ended up winning a national championship at volleyball the year after he got sick. But he got really bad. Um, he just got was one of the guys that just got a bad deal on a body when he was born. And mm. even though he was a monster giant, and um, when we were kids, you know, I've known him since we were you know ten or twelve years old. He was the guy that looked like an adult when we were twelve. Right. And uh, so he was a giant beast then. Um, and then he was incredibly successful at athletics. Got a full ride, like I said, to University of Hawaii. 
And um, but then he got uh, he got colonitis, and they had to take out a large part of his large intestine. He almost died. He lost 100 pounds. Jeez. But in his sickness, he fi- found his art. So we would just pay for him his food, and just like buy him weed, buy him food, buy him whatever he wa- needed to just hang out and get better. Because like he was a reformed Mormon, and his parents like did not agree with his lifestyle. And hmm. it's a long story. I could do a long story about Robbie, but. But uh, he was an amazing artist, so he painted this crazy mural in our apartment um, that we lived at for a couple years in my early 20s um, that we built like a scaffolding for him, like Michelangelo and shit in the Sistine Chapel so that he could literally get to it. It was like vaulted ceilings that went up like 15, 20 feet. Hmm. Um, So he painted that hat for me, and uh, so I wore it kind of, you know, for him and uh, just because I just wanted to, you know, wear some crazy shit for a little bit. And then that (laughs) that blue head wrap that I had was a guy named Jaden Darling, who was a buddy of ours from NorCal, and he was uh, he had found some cool fabric, and it was super comfortable. So I just I don't know I just wore that underneath, and so I'd always wear like a little head head wrap underneath, mm-hmm. and then um, with a baseball cap backwards for kind of like the later part of my career. But before that, it was like baseball hats forward, or like visors forward, but I never really got on the sandana tip, other than maybe a little bit here and there. Yeah, no, I don't think I ever even remember you wearing one ever. It was always, in my memory, it was always you were the backwards hat, and then BC, um, BC, didn't BC stand for big cranium? Because that dude had a big dome, because I remember. <laughs> it should have. It, st- it stood for Brian Cole, which was his name, but it, yeah, big cranium. Oh or, my God, dude. Or another BC too, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just let that ever, everyone's imagination. Yeah. I remember watching uh, watching him play, and then eventually got to know him. And uh, dude, they couldn't make JT straps big enough for his head because I remember watching; they were all the the clips were all into the back, and it was still stretched out. I'm like, holy shit! Yeah, he's in BC from old school legendary dynasty player. He was like a dude who just when I met him when he was 15, I thought he was 20, and he just you know just one of those guys. But um, but yeah, he had a, he, he wore a forward baseball cap too. Mm-hmm. Which I always was like, yeah, power brother, for sure. Yeah, you know, baseball cap crew. Um, but yeah, no, it was just I don't know, man. I'm not trying to be like everyone all the time, so yeah. that was just my own little shit that that I was comfortable for me to to play in. Yeah, that was kind of that was kind of me and my my play style. I felt because I I felt like I kind of looked like everybody else um, because I, it was I was in the group of like of looking up to the the younger players who were playing pro and and kind of what they look like. So I kind of you know followed suit so how i wanted to be different was the whole just my style of play and i never really tried to like be a superstar or make the superstar moves it's just that's what that's how i enjoyed playing the game it was that was never my intention was to be like this fucking like i remember how about this i remember i remember one time i was it was i was with you guys i think it was at world cup or something like that and maybe oh five and I remember I did some move that I that I just saw, so I tried it out. And I come back in the pits, and I remember Cuba came up to me, and he goes, dude, stop with the superstar shit. And I, I turned towards him. Which is him, what and I was we like, used to tell to Cuba all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, uh, I turned towards him, and I go, dude, I'm just trying to help this team win. Like, I, I had never any intentions of – I, I was there for this. I remember this argument, actually. dude. And I, I welled up. I, yeah. I, I welled up because, and that's I, why I would never tell you those things because I didn't want you to well up. <laughs> but I was like, yeah, because I, I didn't, I didn't, I never want to let you guys down. But I, I, I was like, I, that was never my intention 
during the whole thing was become a superstar or try and become a superstar with these moves. This, these, it's just shit that I saw that I just, I figured if I, if I tried it and it worked great, if I try it and it didn't work, maybe it, it would try in some other time. You had a very original style because you were, dude, you, like I said, man, I've, I've never, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not just saying this cause I'm on your show, bro. I'm, I, cause I really like you, but you had an incredibly original style. You were so fast, and the way that you used your speed as a weapon—not uh, necessarily, not just to get to spots, because you know that's a timing thing, and sure, that's there. But it was it, where I remember you shining the most was when we really needed a big move, big game, close moment, and we just needed you to do some crazy shit and just be Carl. And then more often than not, you would excel. Sometimes you get shot in those situations, but I would fault you for that because fuck man like we need you're in the spot but you yeah you definitely had a, a unique style for sure um so yeah i i yeah more seven man sure. oriented i think yeah for sure seven man i think i think that um you excelled at the seven man format i mean dude that year that that like we just beat everyone's ass that year that we had excess energy like to get that that pro spot because then that was like a tactical move from the you know because we had so many good players and we're like well Let's let's try to get two pro spots because if we could, and then that would be really amazing. Because you know, at the time, like you know, that again, like I feel like every step of the way, it's been tough because there's not a lot of like because things change so quickly. So there wasn't a lot of old people that we could go consult and be like, well, what should we do now? Mm-hmm. How should we act now? How should we how should we do? You know, it was we were always in the midst of a battle. Like back when you know when I was on the Ironman, it was with Avalanche. And I and I and I've thought about this so much, and I've said this before, but I, I just think it's so it's such a, a very important epiphany, is that you need to thank your enemies, in the realm of sports, mm-hmm. because if you don't if you don't have a really good enemy, you don't really know how good you can be. Um, yeah, of course your teammates, of course sponsors, blah blah, people allow you to be there, friends, family, of course. But I think at, in the middle of the battle, I'm so happy that. You know, I'm happy that I never played on Dynasty because I got to play against Dynasty when they were becoming the best paintball team that ever walked the earth, and we got to be the antagonist for them during that. So I that brought the best out in me. That brought the best out in you. That's how you cut your teeth. Mm-hmm. You, know, you you cut your teeth going against the best team that ever ever walked the earth in San Diego Dynasty, uh, and that's how you became the best Karl Markowski. And so that that by default creates creative moments and creative ways of looking at the engagements that we are forced to participate in because by by the fact that we are there by we have the fact that we have chosen to to be in this realm at this specific you know corner of time in the world and yeah and you you did have a very unique style but that's one of the reasons that you were super fun to play with why you were super fun to watch i mean when you went on afterwards i would I would go in any team that you were on. I'm like, I wonder what Carl's going to do this game. You know, I just, I wanted to see because it was super fun. It was sad when you retired to me. I feel like you still probably could. I'd love to see you play this these one-on-one formats because I think you might be really good at it. Um, I, I just don't know where your heart's at anymore and how your body's holding up because our bot, like my knees don't work the same way they used to and I know yours don't either and, mm-hmm. you know, but it, but it, it's... Yeah, you definitely had a very, very unique style. I do. I, I just thought of Tim on Tressa, though. Speaking of styles, but it was like uh, when we I played with Tim, um, we were on Cat Factory together in Chicago last year, 
and uh, and he was just so he was just it was so fun to play with him. I'd never been on the same team with him, and he was like, "Dude, Maddie, we never played on the same team together." I'm like, "Dude, I'm so stoked to play with you because we'd such a really happy human being, dude. So oh, happy. He was so happy about everything and, and intense. Oh, super intense. intense. <laughs> super <laughs> intense. But he just had this like just soul glow to him. Yeah. And so and uh, you know it's like when people when people die because I've lost people before and you live long enough you're gonna lose people sometimes tragically but. And then people will say, oh, he was the best guy. You know, that's like the go-to default thing to say. Sure. But fuck that. Like, Tim Montressor really was the best dude. You know mm-hmm. I mean? He was one of our bright, shining lights. So when we got on the – so we're sitting there, and we show up, and we're drinking some beers, and we're just having a good time. We're just stoked to be there. And uh, and he's like, Maddie, you better be wearing a goddamn backwards baseball cap with a fucking <laughs> sandana, like, head wrap underneath. And I was like, hold on, hold on. Let me get let me get it together. And I, like, put my gear on and stuff, and I'm like – you know, put the put the hat on, put the bill up, put it on. I'm like, put my bandana on and stuff. I'm like, all right, what do you think? And he's like, yep, that's exactly that's that's what you should look like right now. I'm like, I get the Tim Montressa shield of approval. He's like, fucking a, baby, let's go. And I was like, hell yeah. So, uh, but yeah, but that's part of it, man. I think that's part of it. If you want to, you know, it's like look good, feel good, play good, right? Mm-hmm. And ever you got to have your own. That's another interesting thing about the game too is that there is a certain style element to it that en- enables you to in- inhabit a certain headspace. When you, I mean, bizarrely look a certain way, where you're like, "Yeah, this is what I'm supposed to look like right now," because I and I feel good, and because you better feel good, because if you don't feel good, you might not play as good. You know, if you got some whack ass shit, you, you know, things are all cockeyed, and you're using some loner bullshit, and like you're not, that's you're not going to be in the zone, right? And mm-hmm. you need a gear. It's gear. It is a little bit of gear dependent, and not just of like how it works. Oh yeah, which is kind of funny to say, but that's but that is a very true thing. You know, if I'm gonna go to battle, I wanna I wanna have my own shit dialed in the way I wanna have it dialed in. Oh yeah, absolutely. And everybody has their own their own little thing. And there's a couple other things that I wanna I wanna talk to you about that of uh kind of maybe your process of getting ready for a, a game or a match or or just to play in general. Did you have any kind of superstitions? Um, before you started getting geared up or before you started playing? Because I, referring back to uh, Heroes for a Day, there was this clip of Rich doing like this mantra before he went out oh, uh, on the final yeah. game. Yeah, yeah. And I, 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 maybe I've heard it before uh, when I was at, but I, 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 thinking about it, I don't think I've ever heard him say that like verbally. Like I, maybe I was just, it was in the right spot at the right time. But it wasn't until then I was like, I was like, somebody else has some kind of little weird thing that they do before they play. So it's not just, it's not just me. Like I did all kinds of weird shit, but I didn't know if you had some kind of little, like, um, obviously you had your headgear and everything, but did you have like, did you put something on before you had to put something on before you put something else on? Or did you, did you I mean, it's funny though, because I, I grew up as a very superstitious kid, almost maybe even a little OCD, um, but at, but at a certain point in time, I realized that, to me at least, like, that was bullshit. And, mm-hmm. yeah, as a baseball player, too, baseball players are notoriously superstitious. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's what it was, yeah. Yeah, notoriously. Like, if you played baseball, you probably had some, like, weird-ass quirks that, uh, you know, that that just stuck with you. But, I don't know, I kind of lost that a little bit. But I, I, I was a little bit more, let's just, you know, let's just, I, I didn't really have any, like, true superstitions. In order to get mentally ready, I would just try to be you know, as focused as I could be. I didn't have any mantras. So that moment where you catch Rich, when when Pat catches Rich doing that and saying that to himself, if you've ever met Rich Telford's mother, 
she is a very like zen peaceful like mantra filled woman she does you know she, so she, we she had actually like led us through i can't i don't think you were there for that day but we had she, we had got us together and did like a you know like a meditation thing to kind of get like mentally focused like a sports psychology type thing mm-hmm. um i and, but i i think that stuff is really powerful i have actually a pretty crazy story from a guided meditation when i was in that acting class with uh with rob um he wasn't there that day i don't think but we showed up and just to show you the power of 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 these moments and can how how much it can work for certain people even though i did get like i said i got to a kind of a point where you know, we've been doing this for a long time and I just would get, everyone gets hype and I was the, like, definitely the loud hype guy, like, and we used to get up by slapping each other in the face. That was, a, that was a way, that was a thing for a while in the Ironman where Shane would be like, you want a hot one? Like, that was, like, we got, that's how we got up. Like, you would just literally slap the fuck out of each other so bad sometimes that, I mean, I remember Shane caught me on the jaw right before we got into a 10-man game in, in Atlantic City one year, rang my bell. So I started the game, like, running out, like, a little bit dizzy. Um, and we still joke about that to this day. Uh, Catfish will, you know, text me, uh, Kevin Garcia, and he'll be like, hey, you need a hot one? You know, like, that sort of thing. He, uh, and I'm like, no, I'm good. Thomas Taylor, on my drive out to Texas for the, for the one-on-one, he, he, uh, he, he called me up, and, and I answered the phone. I'm middle of nowhere, Arizona, and he's like, how you doing? I'm like, I'm doing pretty good, bro. How you been? He's like, I'm good. He's like, you need a hot one? I was like, no, I'm straight, Thomas. I got enough of those back in the day. I can still, it's still reverberating through my cranium as we speak. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good. He's like, I'll give you a hot one right now through the phone. I'm like, I know you will. Uh, oh, he played so for was, the Ironman. Yeah. For yeah. a little stint there. Dude, I have an awesome Thomas Taylor. So Thomas Taylor got into the, so he played for this team called like Elite or whatever. And uh, I get a call from Rich. It's like a similar situation with you, but he was like, um, calls me up. He goes, hey, I need you to play in this five-man tournament this weekend up at Camp Pendleton. And I'm like, oh, bro, <laughs> I really don't want to play in this tournament. I'm fucking tired, and we've been playing a lot of paintball. So he's like, no, you got to play in this one. I'm like, okay, cool. Um, why? And he goes, because there's like, there's a couple guys that, or there's one guy that we're going to try out for the team, and I need you to go play with this guy and tell me if he's going to be any good. His name was JT Bouchard. So I go, okay. Um, and then he's like, there's also a couple other guys uh, that play for that team. And these guys ended up playing for the Ironman, actually. And one of them was Thomas Taylor. So he goes, yeah, it's a guy named Thomas Taylor. But Thomas was not the guy we were looking at. Mm-hmm. JT was the guy we were looking at. So Thomas hits me up, and he's like, hey, Maddie, I'm stoked to play with you. I'm excited about this five-man. It's going to be great. And I just go, all right, cool. Yeah, that's great, bro. All right, listen up. Here's the deal. Um, you're going to be staying in my house. We're going to stay up all night. We're going to go out drinking, and then we're going to play Mario Kart until uh dawn then we're gonna go up to this tournament and we're gonna win the motherfucking tournament if you're not down for that then don't come to my house and he's like uh you can ask thomas about this and i was like and i was like just laid it out for him like this is what's happening we're going to go out drinking to the bars we're gonna get hammered we're gonna come back to the house we're gonna continue to drink and we're gonna play mario kart till dawn sober up then we're gonna drive up to the tournament and we're gonna win the tournament this is just Thus it was written, thus it shall be. And he was like, all right, okay, all right, let's do it. And that's exactly what happened. We did the, those exact things. And then so we went up to the tournament, and JT played pretty well, but Thomas Taylor was lights out. I mean, even on no sleep, man. Like, he's not a great Mario Kart player, but he's a hell of a paintball player. And uh, and so that's exactly what we did, and we won that tournament. It was like autococcus for first place or whatever. Mm. Um 
but yeah, so that's that's how I met Thomas Taylor. Um, and so yeah, and then Thomas Taylor got on the Ironman, and that started his paintball career. I yeah, I, I love Thomas. Um, but yeah, so going so going back to this crazy story with the the uh, acting um, and meditation thing. So we roll up and we're all prepared to do our scenes. And again, dude, I'm like 18 years old, so I'm I've never done any meditation. I didn't understand its power. And uh, we 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 roll into the theater. Um, and, uh, everyone's nervous because they think they're going to have to perform that day The the teacher comes out and this, he was a very incredibly well-spoken, had this deep baritone voice. His last name was Castro. Everyone called him Castro. And he said, he goes, all right, is everyone ready to perform today? He goes, not really. Uh, he goes, okay. Um, well, we're not actually going to be performing today. Today, we're going to be doing a thing that I like to call having a private moment in public. So if everyone would please come up to the stage and grab a mat, bring the mat out onto the stage and lay down on the mat. And we're just like, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> like what, huh? I don't understand any of this. So we just do as he says and we all lay down. Now, another one of the other guys that was in this class, in addition to Rob, who I don't think was there that day, like I said, but was this guy named Chris. And Chris was a army veteran. So I'm, again, you know, 18 years old or whatever. Chris was like 28. Long blonde haired dude, surfer guy, lived down in Pacific Beach. After he got out of the army, he just, you know, became a surf bum and like that's what he did now. Um, he's on some sort of medical retirement. I, if I remember correctly, I may be wrong, but, um, you know, tough guy, nice guy, like really outgoing. So we all laid down and, and so Castro starts taking us through like a pretty standard garden variety guided meditation. And if anyone's never done that before, essentially you close your eyes and you know, you have the the person who's giving the guided meditation start talking you through, um, saying thing, you know, through condensing your energy into a ball that's in your feet, guiding you through your body. Your energy comes up and out of the top of your head, and then starts going through the. I know it sounds like super woo woo bullshit, but when you really dive into it, it can be very powerful. In case in point, so as we're kind of sitting there and he's spiraling us off into the universe, and then and then you're supposed to go to this place that's completely full of white light. That's where your soul is, and the first memory that comes to your mind, this is where the private moment in public comes in, um, you're supposed to share with the group. And that's the first time, as this is happening, that you actually think to yourself, like, oh, shit, I'm with people. Because at that moment, you are, when you really get into it, you are there, the breath work and and this uh, and, and, and his amazing voice. And so I, I thought of this time when I was a kid and uh, how I used to skateboard down to my buddy's house, and then my mom would come out and be like, at dinner time, and I'd go up the hill, and I'd just sit on my sk skateboard and watch the sunset. I don't know why I thought about that, but that's what I thought about. That's where I went in this moment. Chris, the the veteran um, from the Gulf War at the time, and you know, not the not Gulf War two, but the first Gulf War in the early '90s, and so he just starts losing his shit, man. He's just like, he just starts screaming out, "Dad, fuck you!" He's just screaming out to the world. I mean, he was just losing his shit, man. Fuck you, Dad. You never fucking loved me. You fucking beat me. He was just going on. He was just like completely in this other world, like purging mm. his own demons. And so Castro didn't lose a beat. Uh, he goes, if everyone would uh, come and put a hand on Chris. So we all go over and we all put a hand on him. So there's like 15, 20 people all putting a hand on Chris, who's like convulsing almost, still laying in his trance on the, on his mat, motherfucking his father. And, um, and then so, and he, and, and so Castro says, you know, if everyone just put, could put their positive energy into Chris and let him know that everything's going to be okay, that this is okay. And that he needed this moment to come to terms with his own, you know, uh, situations in life. 
And sure enough, after a couple of minutes, Chris kind of comes to and he looks up at all of us. And imagine like coming to after this has happened to you and you're like looking around and there's like 15, 20 people like all surrounding you with like a hand on you. And he just immediately becomes, you know, very uh, apologetic. He's like, oh, he's like, fuck, I'm so sorry, everybody. And we're like, no, no, it's all good, man. It's all good. And and uh, and he's like, oh, man, I don't know. I just I feel like I don't I don't know what came over me. I, I needed something like this. And and so then um, so then we all went back to our spots and we ended up kind of doing like another exit kind of meditation thing. And and then we left and, and I walked out of there with just an incredible sense of peace. And uh, and then went to my car and had a fucking parking ticket on my car. <laughs> <laughs> Which like it was like a total bullshit parking ticket, you know, parking out of the stall or something ridiculous. Like my yeah. tire was like the slightest fraction micro inch of my tire was like on the line, which uh, I got a ticket for. But I, I couldn't care less. I just mm. I grabbed it. I was like, yeah, normally I'd be like, this is bullshit. Can you believe this? I can't believe I got fucked. <laughs> I got to pay this bullshit anyway. But no, I didn't care at all. And I drove off. So the mind is an incredibly powerful thing. So with Rich and his mantra with his mom, so that was one of the things, like as a trick, it can work, and it can be a very potent trick for certain people to kind of trick your mind to get into that combat headspace that you need to be in, um, where you're as focused as you possibly can, that flow state, and uh, and that's why Rich used to do that. So. Yeah, I, I was I was stoked when I heard him say it, because I was like, okay, awesome. But, but somebody else you know, has that kind of feeling, and you know, talking about that class that you were attending, it's crazy how life works and it's crazy how out of control life is and how in deceptively in control you think you are. Meaning, what if that teacher at the last minute decided to do the class that way? This whole time, what if what if this whole time he had intentions of of doing of having everybody act, everybody perform, but something on the drive to the theater or where the classroom, whatever it was, the drive there, he was like I'm going to do something a little different today. And and everybody had that moment because he had changed his mind about how it was going to go down. And none of you guys would have had that moment. And you would have been, maybe you would have been pissed off if you got the ticket because maybe how you were going to perform, you weren't happy with, which would have kind of went. So it's, it's so interesting to see life as one big variable where the only real thing that you have control of is your own mind. Yeah, and then the question is with free will is that do you even really have control over your own mind? Who's the voice in my head? <laughs> Who is that? Yeah, there, there, that's a whole other rabbit hole for sure. Um, no, for yeah, I, I think about that a lot. I think about consequentiality. I think about, um, I think about the butterfly effect. I, I think about those little tiny uh, micro events that then can cause – completely different uh, uh, occurrences and and uh, and 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 completely change your life I, you know I, I think about that a lot um, you know I I don't I, I there's so many of those that have happened to me over time through the span of paintball because I've over my career in my history of things like I just got used to saying yes a lot like yeah sure I'll do this or yeah sure yeah. I'll go to this trader and then trying to will that and make it happen because you know some of those weren't exactly the easiest things to do like I had to take a cab to my first tryout because my dad didn't want to take me down there um, and the list continues I mean there's a lot of those little micro occurrences that could have just gone different ways where I could be in a completely different spot but mm. 
I don't think you want to mind fuck yourself too much with that because, yeah, playing around with you know counterfactual variables can be fun, but we are where we are and we exist where we exist and you have your powers in your current time and place in the world to either do something with them or to choose not to do something with them. And I like to dwell on that as much as I can, even though Mm -hmm. I will go down the rabbit hole of, of small little tiny changes that could have been drastic to my life. Um, Yeah, yeah. There's there's a ton of stuff like that. So yeah. I mean, I I mean, I'm willing to go down any rabbit hole you want to go. I was tonight. well, <laughs> like I said, I I'm I, like I said, Carl, I'm down to talk about anything you want to talk about, whatever way you want to go with this. Yeah, I have a I have a few other quirks that I'm definitely go into. But another thing, have you ever read the Four Agreements? I have not read the Four Agreements, dude. No, I've not. It's it's a, a hundred page, quick read, you know, a couple days or within a day. It's. I just read it again uh, and, and to reread it to just kind of reiterate, and I'm actually gonna I'm I'm gonna gift it to my 16 year old niece uh, for her birthday um, because she's going through uh, she's a 16 year old girl, um, but she also tough time for anybody, <laughs> right? Um, she but she's seeing a therapist. She's she's going through a few things, and right away, first thing I asked her if she enjoyed reading at all. Uh, she's in drama. And everything, so she, she at least can read scripts, and she has to read for at least a little bit. So I just asked her if she uh, just enjoyed to read personally, and she said yes. And I instantly bought this book for her. Um, it it really, I mean, have, you've heard of the Four Agreements, though, correct? Oh, for sure, for sure. And and as I'm reading the book, it really, it was like last year or so, and it, and it kind of, it just really just hit me in this weird way. And then I just read it again, and it kind of just brought it back up again. And it, 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 I wish I would have read it, man, when I was young. I wish it was around, maybe it was around, I wish I would have knew about it when I was young because it really would have, it, it would have took all of that bullshit that I kept on my shoulders and all of this, I need to prove myself kind of a thing. And it just really makes you just, I mean, I would have, I would have completely played a different mental side of it. I, I think I would have matured quicker as a player. Um, just as a confidence factor and just it pretty much letting myself know that other people's opinions or just or take on anything has really nothing to do with me and at you know it's it's take nothing personally do your best uh be um uh impeccable with your word and never assume anything and i that's i did all of that (laughs) You know, I did all of that when I first started, and I, and I think it would have helped me out a ton. I don't want to live in the past, but it's it's just like I highly, highly, highly recommend it. I think you'd enjoy it. Yeah, no, I I love all I love the, a lot of I've read a lot of stuff like that. Um, I mean, dude, I've I love reading. Uh, if you want to talk about books, I would I could spend uh, countless hours discussing books, but um, I've just recently though I. I've kind of gone a little bit away from like self-help stuff, even if it's like mystical self-help shit, just because as much as I respect the hell out of all that stuff, like I feel like you live through certain times in your life, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm, and I, and I've read some stuff recently. It's like the alchemist, you know, and I read, when I finally read the alchemist at maybe 30 or 28, I wish I had read that when I was 18. I feel like there's certain things that are good to read once you've, uh, at certain times in your life. Again, I'm, I will totally read this book. I, 
I'm, I'm not in any way, shape, or form saying not to read any, oh, no, any no, of yeah. this stuff. But, <laughs> but my point is, is that I feel like I can, at this point in my life, where, with what I've been in in my life and where I am in my life and, and how I am as a person, I just, I can, I don't want to spend too much time reading a lot of the same stuff, mm-hmm. you know, because it's like a lot of these uh, self-help books, they kind of say the same thing in very profound and beautiful poetic ways from a different tact. You know, yeah. and, and after and after spending a long period of my life incorporating those things and, you know, all the, those types of books into my my reading material, I feel like now I'm not saying like, oh, you know, I'm, I don't want to be like, oh, I'm, I'm past that or this or that. But at a certain point, it's like, it's, dude, you know, we only have so much time here. And like I've consciously given up, like I don't play video games anymore. Like as much as I love, loved video games and play video games since I was a child. I just don't do it anymore because to me it's like I would rather spend my time reading books and consuming information about how the world works, you know, physics, uh, I love history. I read shit tons of history books. Mm -hmm. Um, Like that's how – and also I I don't really have FOMO anymore, man. Like I don't really give a fuck what – you know, somebody hits me up and they're like, bro, the craziest thing is about to happen right now. Like, you've got to come and do this one thing. And I'm like, ah, oh, it's cool. I'm good. I'm going to be reading this history book at home. You know, like, I just don't <laughs> care anymore because, like, I've ch- I chased that endless good night for so long. Mm. Be- and I just don't, I don't have that in me anymore. You know, I just don't, I mean, I don't get me wrong. I still love to have a good time and I still like to go out um, and see friends. But, like I like the like to go to a club right now and spend an obscene amount of money buying bottles and like screaming each other's ears for three or four hours. Like I would much rather sit at home and and read about the American Revolution, as nerdy as that sounds. <laughs> like I don't give a flying fuck yeah. about the dope ass bottle service that you've got at the spot, so we can go and listen to like like music. I, I just I just don't care anymore, bro. Like I yeah. did that for so long. So with and um. I would love to read this book and, and have I just haven't read it, so I would love to have it. But I, I just think that like reading and just like look, reading is lifting weights for your brain. Like people are so excited to get their body dialed in, their diet. Oh, they just get so passionate about like whatever diet fad is the new hot shit. Oh, I'm on keto right now, and I'm on this. I'm lift doing these deadlifts, and I'm all running these miles, and like and and that is all key important stuff. But I just feel that. Um, I just, to me, as important as that is to your body, if you aren't feeding your mind, then that is is equally as important. So I'm super stoked on people reading all these books. Um, But I've just noticed that over time and having read a shit ton of books like that, that it's like they are all amazing, profound statements of and things you need to, to learn. But it's like once I start reading a book where I'm like, all right, I know where this guy's going with this. This is amazing, but I wish I read this, excuse me, when I was like 18 years old, you know, mm-hmm. because now I want I want to know, you know, like what were the, you know, I just I just want more, you know, like I want I want a juicier steak mentally than sometimes in some of that stuff. So, but um but I would fucking love to read that book. Um I also am a I am a sucker and this is why I like talking to guys like Oliver, but I am a sucker for the metaphysical shit, you know, like I mm-hmm. do enjoy going down those rabbit holes. Um, just because we don't know, you know, like I love reading about religions, um, spiritual traditions, um, you know, how the world actually works, the physics behind things, you know, it's fascinating. It's like, you know, I've done, uh, I've, I've officiated a decent amount of weddings over time. And one of the, uh, one of the, um, parts of my ceremony is that I say, um, is, you know, it's, it's that if you, if you think about like what, what is water, 
and the power of like what water is. Like water is hydrogen and oxygen, right? H2O. So two things of hydrogen, two atoms of hydrogen and, 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 and one of oxygen. And, they, and they're together. Oxygen is an incredibly corrosive substance. That's why things oxidate. So mm. rust is caused by oxygen and it's, um, it can be explosive. Hydrogen, you know, the hydrogen bomb, um, the Hindenburg disaster. I mean, hydrogen is also an incredibly um, chaotic molecule. It's what fuels the, the sun. But when you take those two things, very simple, and you put them together, it creates water, which is one of the most stable substances that we know that exists. And it can exist in, you know, through the transition of temperature in from a vapor to a liquid to a solid. So it's this very malleable thing that is at its building blocks created by very chaotic and, and, and explosive molecules, oxygen and hydrogen. And so I then pivot during the, the wedding ceremony and I say, you know, like, and I see that in the two of you, you know, two chaotic elements, you know, formed together to create a stable substance to move through the fabric of time. And uh, so I love all that shit. I just eat it up. I mean, that's one of my reasons I still like to wake up every morning and breathe oxygen out in and out every day is because you get to, <laughs> You know, go through the this Byzantine labyrinth that is existence, and and find all these fucking magical mysteries that that help guide uh, that that uh, that make us all up. You know, yeah. so it's yeah. So I love I love those rabbit holes. Um, but I've just as far at but I I have gotten a I wouldn't say soured on, but it's just like and I have read this book, but I just I think that there's like there's just like the the hinge of of these like self help books that are very poetic and beautiful, like they're, they're perfect. And I think they can completely change the fabric of a person's life. But once you get to a certain point, I feel like we need to move to another level because I could be like, well, if you like this book here, let me show you these other 15 mm -hmm. books. And I feel like let's have a crazier conversation about shit. Let's talk about hydrogen and oxygen becoming water, you know, because yeah. there's just like so much gnarly shit out there that that's the, and that's where I'm kind of at right now. Yeah. And I'm, I would love to go down that, uh, just, for the simple fact that, you know, water is needed. It, it's, it's a necessity for everything. And I, I was going to tell myself that I wasn't going to recommend books to you because you read and I'm not like, I just started. <laughs> I just, Bro, Carl, are you kidding me? Recommend any books to me that you want. But I love I, books. Well, I was never a big reader. I, dude, I have a book that you gave me that I told you, I'm sure when you gave to me, uh, you told me you're like you have to read this. You're gonna read this, and I probably looked at you in the eye and said, "I will read this." I'm gonna read this. <laughs> I haven't fucking read it yet. What <laughs> is it? The Gates of Hell. It? Oh my god, dude! <laughs> Wait, hold on. Gates of Fire. Gates of Fire. That's what it yes. is. Yes. Gates of Fire. Uh, okay. Do you want to know why I gave you Gates of Fire? To read. Kill me. A, you met? No. Do you, no. Well, yes. But <laughs> yeah. do you remember Kill Me a Thousand? Yes. You remember yes. Kill Me a Thousand? Remember mm -hmm. I would say Kill Me a Thousand. Yep. Before we would go into battle, before excess energy. Okay, so okay, so Stephen Pressfield, who wrote one, of, so if if anyone's dealing with any sort of creative block, go and look, go and read the War of Art. It is the most profound. In fact, I will try to find the very last page of the War of Art. Oh my God, it is so good. But um, so anyway, so Stephen Pressfield, he's one of the most, he's the most amazing war writer I've ever, I've never listen to anybody or read or have read anybody writing better war shit than this dude writes so gates of fire is about thermopylae so it's like the, when mm -hmm. i was in the 300 came out spartans persians and don't get me wrong the 300 is a badass piece of art 
It's like watching a moving painting. But it, it is it pales in comparison to Gates of Fire. And in that, he talks about, and I so for, with excess energy, particularly like R7, man, I used to say like, hey, kill me a thousand and would tell that story about how, you know, you as they were trying to hold the line against the Persians, because we were pro paintball players. This is what we did. We would do this all the time. So when we would play some, you know, I don't want to say like a chump team, but when we would play a team that should not beat us, like these dudes, in my mind, this is how I would look at it because I would try to summon the hardest spirit that I had in order to meet the challenge. And I would look at these guys and think these guys, not to sleep on them, but they do not deserve to be on the field with us. And this is exactly what the Spartans would say back in the day. And, you know, there's that scene in the 300 where he's like, you know, you know, you have these farmers. He's like, well, what do we do for a living? He's like, I brought warriors to this battle. Who did you bring? And so that's how I would look with our team. I'd be like, I, well, we would play in those tournaments. I would look across the field and be like, well, that guy's a bartender and that guy's a mechanic. Like, I brought warriors to this fight. Who did you bring to the fight? And so, you know, Kill Me a Thousand was as the, they were standing the line, uh, as, as the, the Spartans were just literally stacking bodies up as the peasants attacked them, as those first waves came through, you know, the king turned around and said to everyone, he's like, if you kill me a thousand, I promise you they will break today and we will see tomorrow. And that was just this like amazing moment in that. But that comes from that Gates of Fire book. And that would just, dude, Pressfield is a genius. But I feel terrible because I started reading it and I couldn't pronounce half the shit in there. And I was like, I, I got way going. out of it. If you can't pronounce got... it, you just make up the name in your head. Anytime you're reading a book and you can't pronounce a, a name, just say the name in your head phonetically and then just keep right on going. And then that becomes, you know, the name. It's like, like, dude, I like I can't. The Hunger Games is a, you know, young adult novel that got super famous. But I think Katniss is the worst fucking name ever for heroin because I in my head every time I read Katniss I would just think cat piss and I would just start laughing <laughs> and it was just like oh it's terrible yeah but, uh, but I, that, hold on. I just started reading actually uh, for pleasure like this year and I've read I've read you know a good three four books already this year I know that doesn't mean a lot but it, it, it just took me a little bit of time getting up and I just started to read all these books and I'm like man I've really I, I felt my mem my memory is better Totally. It's lifting. Dude, it's reading, insane. Reading is lifting weights for your brain. If you read, you are literally just deadlifting and bench pressing with your brain. And I promise you, everything is going to become easier in your life if you read books, because it's just like when you start getting physically fit and you're able to run cardio, like sports things just become whatever it is. It just becomes easier because you've trained it. You're training your mind by reading books. And it's like people studies have shown that especially people that read especially literary novels, they are more empathetic. These people understand the world a little bit more because, you know, Stephen King has said this, another amazing book called On Writing. You know, Stephen King talks about how writing is like telepathy. And think about it. So you could have like a, a Roman philosopher, you know, Epicurus, um, any of the Stoics, and Marcus Aurelius. These people thousands of years ago thought thoughts. They wrote these thoughts down. And then over 2,000 years of time, you can go and read that same thought exactly as that person thought it. And, and without that human being separated by two millennium, their thought gets impregnated into your brain. Is that or is that not telepathy? Like, it's an amazing thing. So let me just read you the last, uh, the, the very last part of the War of Art. So if anyone, if again, if you're having any stumbles, whether you're creating a company or you want to write the next great American novel or 
start a podcast. If something's causing you to be mentally constipated and you can't do it, like just read this book. This is the very last chapter. Are you a born writer? Were you put here on earth to be a painter, a scientist, an apostle of peace? In the end, the question can only be answered by action. You do it or you don't do it. It may help to think of it this way. If you were meant to cure cancer or write a symphony or crack cold fusion and you don't do it, you not only hurt yourself, even destroy yourself, you hurt your children, you hurt me, you hurt the planet. You shame the angels who watch over you and you spite the Almighty who created you and only you with your unique gifts for the sole purpose of nudging the human race one millimeter further along its path to God. Creative work is not a selfish act or a bid for attention on the part of the actor. It is a gift to the world and every being in it. So do not cheat us of your contribution. Give us what you got. <laughs> Fuck yes, dude. You know, I mean, like, yes. Cheers. Cheers to Hit Pressfield. Yes, sir. Cheers to anyone that's willing to do that. <clears throat> cheers to people like you, Carl, who are willing to start podcasts and tell stories. Thank you so much. Yeah. To all those brave souls willing to get in the motherfucking arena and do some shit that people haven't done before because it's a lot easier to sit on your fucking couch and watch Netflix all day and not do a goddamn thing and then be reactionary or tear shit down. It's hard to build things. It hmm. is so easy to sit on the sidelines and be like, oh, Carl, you suck. You should have gone the inside route instead of the outside route. That's really <laughs> easy to do. It's incredibly hard to actually get in there and have the best paintball players on planet Earth shoot at your ass while you try to play the aggressor and exert your will on the game, you know, or your charismatic personality on the game in the grand scheme of things. So, and that's why the prime movers, the people that do things in this world, will always have my respect whether or not I do agree or disagree with how those things are done. I'm never going to be a critic. You know, I will criticize, but I will not be a critic because I want to be somebody that builds things, you know, that tries to move us forward. And I think that that's, a, there's a delineation there that I think that's a big difference because I think it's easy to talk shit on the sidelines. It's easy to troll, you know, it, it, it feels good to, to condemn, whereas it is very, very fucking hard to actually try to build something anyone that's demoed anything you know I've said this before but you know anyone that's actually destroyed something before it's actually pretty easy to do if you give me two grown men a couple sledgehammers we could fucking take a house down pretty quick you know at least the guts of it we might need some bigger machinery but you know it's like when when we do our webcast it takes a long time to actually run all those cables set everything up build everything for us to break all that stuff down and put it in boxes a fraction of the time you know so that and that's just a small microcosm because we're not actually destroying it we're just breaking it down mm -hmm. to then put it in you know box it up so we can do it again but so it's it's and so you know as Pressfield says it's like you do kind of cheat the world a little bit and, and in that book he talks about um, this it's like a cosmic force that he calls resistance with a capital R it's almost like Satan you know it's like this evil force that keeps you from from doing the things that you do it's that you know, it's that doubt in the middle of the night that's like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? This is foolish. You shouldn't do this. Just, you know, just wake up tomorrow and just hang out. You deserve it. You know, you shouldn't have to do anything. You have all these pressures on you. There's, there's no reason for you to take this extra stress on. Like, why would you Why would you want to stress yourself out right now? You may fail. You may fail. It may be embarrassing if you fail. All of that bullshit negative energy that keeps you from doing what you're supposed to be doing here which could be so fundamental to human beings that it could literally change the world. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. you know, people talk shit on these, like, oh, billionaires shouldn't exist, <clears throat> billionaires shouldn't exist, and it's like, okay, that's a different conversation, but let's think about this for a second. Like, Jeff Bezos, though he is a ridiculously rich man, does not own all of Amazon. 
So him being as successful as he is made a lot of other people rich as fuck. Mm -hmm. And he can allow me to get a book to my house in a day if I want it. You know, he's just good at streamlining the processes of getting physical substances to other physical substances. Yeah, or he made a team around him that was able to think that up and and help create that. You know, there's, there's something to it that is... You know, and, and, and as I'm going through this and getting older, too, and, and, and realizing realizing that there's so much more uh, to the mind, uh, especially now I'm, re- I'm right in the middle of a book. Uh, have you ever heard of David Goggins? Oh, yeah, yeah. David Goggins. I'm right yeah, in the middle of fair. Can't Hurt Me. I haven't me. read his book, but I yeah, yeah he's, he's a beast, dude. He's Holy like shit, a, dude. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, I'm um, I'm actually going to really thinking about start. Like, I hated running um, when... I was young because running always reminded me of when I was bullied. I always, I had to run away. Like that was the only thing I could do. And, um, and, but then I hated running on top of it because I had asthma. So that also, you know, wasn't the greatest for that. Can I just want to ask you real quick, Carl? I just have to ask you, this is your friend and knowing what a physical spec. So let me just tell a Carl Markowski story real quick. (laughs) So we're at world cup and we're at sun on the beach which is a legendary bar at Sun on the Beach. And at this bar, they had one of those machines that's the boxing machine where you hit the you you, you hit the machine and it shows you how hard. Do you remember this night? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're so so you you hit this machine and it shows you how hard you hit it, right? So so we're we're, we're Carl and I are getting hammered at the bar with all the other paintball players and there are these two jacked meatheads there you know, steroided out meatheads that are hitting this machine as hard as they can. And Carl rolls up and he goes, Hey, let me hit this one time. And he, and you hit it and you hit it harder than these jacked meatheads had hit it. And like astronomical off the charts, just like fucking put up a ridiculous number on this machine. And these dudes are like, Oh shit. And, uh, and they were like, I can't believe that you just did that. And you like did it so nonchalantly and then they're like, do it again. And then you hit it again, and you hit it even harder than you did the first time. So, and I understand, like, you're right. You did have acne when I met you, and I and I I get like bullying is a terrible thing. I I feel like everyone's been I you know everyone's bullied a little bit when they're younger. But uh, why the why don't you just beat the fuck out of these bullies, Carl? Because like when I would joke, when I would go be like, what's up, Carl? And I'd like hit you on your back. It's like hitting a two by four. If you go up and pat a two by four, that's what it's like to pat Carl Markowski on the back. So why don't you just punch these fucking bullies in the face? Because you, I don't, I mean, I can't imagine that you were like weak when you were younger. Because ever since I've known you, since you were like seventeen or eighteen, you've been kind of a physical specimen. So you know, not like a Jack Monster physical specimen, but like that wiry dude you don't want to fight physical specimen. <laughs> dude, I've never gotten into a fight. I've never dude, been. In, I've never been into you a fight. So you would have been so good at it because I was, you're so naturally <laughs> strong. I was uh, w- when I was younger. I was in karate, and I had this. Um, this guy named master Bennett. I looked up to him and he was this character. He's this character in my mind now. Um, cause he's passed on, but he was always this character and he, he would always ingrain in me that you, you, you just don't fighting's not good. Fighting is not good. You don't want to hurt anybody. That's the biggest thing is you don't want to hurt anybody. And I've always, I've always had this fear of, getting to that point to where I was, I would get into a fight with somebody and then I wouldn't be able to control whatever it is that would come out. And that was, that was really, really big for me. And, and then also my father was abusive to my mother. So it was like, 
there was a lot of kind of that that like didn't really want me to do that dude i've been i've been elbowed in the face i've been clotheslined i've been all this stuff like that i've had my sled stolen when i was a kid the kid Dude, this kid comes to me. I remember this is a vivid thing. A kid well, comes over to me. Those kids are lucky that you didn't beat the fuck out of those kids because, bro, like I'm telling you, you're one of the naturally strongest dudes I've ever met in my life, and I know a lot of naturally strong guys. So <laughs> it's good for those. It's those poor those fucking asshole kids didn't know who they were fucking with, and it's you're too nice of a soul to have crushed them because, dude, I'm telling, I've seen it. I'm telling you, people, I watched this guy hit the the thing that measures how hard you hit shit, and the jack steroid monsters could not be his score, like. You're just naturally strong, so you just have that pure, beautiful, gentle soul that didn't want to crush these fucking kids. So, dude, I just, I didn't, yeah, I didn't, I didn't want to overexert myself and 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 get in trouble. And I didn't, I I was also one of those kids who didn't want to get in trouble when he was a kid. Um, I was rebellious in ways, but I never wanted to get in trouble with the law or like I almost got into a fight once in San Diego. Um, it was with who was I with? I was with the infamous guys, I think. But I almost got into a fight there, but that was, like, the closest I've ever gotten to a fight. But it was this guy who was, like, we were walking to some club, and he just kept, like, anti- antagonizing, us, antagonizing us. And eventually I was just, like, I couldn't I couldn't take it anymore. And the dude pushed me from behind because I'm trying to walk away from the situation. He pushes me from behind, and he goes, when I say stop, motherfucker, you stop. And I, after he was, like, fucking with everybody else and everybody, all of our friends and everything – I, I get pushed and I stop and I turn around and his friend steps in front of me and I grab his friend and I lift him up and I start pushing him t- and pushing him into the, the guy that I'm trying to get behind and I let go with one hand and I'm reaching around him to try and grab the guy behind me because I'm going I'm to let go of this hand and then punch him in between his, his other friend but like a couple other dudes grabbed me and was like no you don't want to get don't get arrested down here it's like it's not they're looking for people to like to throw in and i was like All right. they definitely are in pacific beach for sure so it's definitely uh, yeah it's good i have a i have a funny story of um yeah no i'm sorry i didn't want to stop you from telling your story that's it I that's it, probably all i had i can't remember where i was going with that no yeah no it's, it's, <laughs> it's just i just it's just interesting but i just think that this is man it's like dude you were such a freak of nature bro like i've never you your fast twitch muscles and like if you had decided to do jujitsu mma and you had that mean streak like if you had and, and if you weren't such a good dude like if you had been a fucking asshole like if you've been that cocky asshole who was like yeah i'm gonna fuck you up and like you like that because just with your physical attributes because like i said man i'm not joking when you when you were in your young, I mean, I haven't patted you on the back in a while. Like, what up, dog? But you used to be, I would joke. I did tell people before. I think I've said this on shows when I was talking about you. I'm like, Carl Murkowski's a freak of fucking nature, man. Like, when you go pat Carl on the back, like, what up, bro? And you pat you on the back, it's like hitting a piece of wood. You just naturally had that, like, tense, you know, and I know you don't train. I know you're not out, like, lifting shit tons of weights. I know you never did speed training. Like, all this <laughs> shit was just God-given. Um and, uh, you know, it's so, so I just think that, I mean, obviously you did amazing in your paintball career and you did a lot with your natural gifts, but if you had been, if, if you had gone down a different road and had been a different, more fuck you inside human being and wanted to do fighting shit, like you might've been really good at it because I've really never met somebody like as, you know, like you just have that natural kind of scrappy, you know, build 
that you could have been really, really strong for your size. Like when you look at Conor McGregor, long arms, you have long arms. Mm -hmm. You know, he has that kind of like lean build for his size and you're way bigger than Conor McGregor is. But um, anyway, but uh, but I just I, I like I bullying is such a is a bad such a horrible thing because it can just fuck up a mind so much. But I and I just feel bad hearing that just knowing that if you had just decided to punch that kid in the face, you probably could have <laughs> fucked him up because like, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, dude, you're you're you are you are a little bit of a freak of nature, Carl. Like you were born with like a ridiculous amount of like, you know, quick, quick uh you know the, the that um that fast twitch muscles that allow people to do athletic shit like you could do when i saw you in your prime like i've just never I me mean, even the best dude like lasoya like uh, oliver i mean no one had even mouse like i i know you raced mouse and you guys are super close but you're looking at a dude who literally like that's like you you know hanging out with your son and chasing him around the yard and going into that race and then mouse being like in the gym doing deadlifts and like trying to do sprints to get faster. Like that's that pure athletic God given ability versus like somebody who has that, who's been training. And so when I, I remember that, but, and, and also, you know, you were a little past your prime at that time, you know, you mm -hmm. weren't 22. We used to do a thing with Carl, everybody where for years, I think it was probably like three, maybe four seasons in a row, like at least three seasons. You remember this? Where we would just race you against everyone's fastest guy, yeah. we would be like, "Hey, uh, bring your, hey, who, give, give me Angel, give me whatever, just bring, I don't care who it is, just bring your fastest guy." All right, we're gonna race him against Carl, and you didn't ever lose a race, like you never lost a race against him. We used to race all the time because we were all cocky and confident, and everyone was trying to. And when we would race each other and have, and you, I never saw you lost a race ever, like against all the people that we would race you against. Mm -hmm. I remember so, the first time we practiced Dynasty, and. Uh, I remember Oliver lining up. It was like it was it was me, Oliver, and then like somebody else. It might have been Angel, but um, but I remember like he took like three or four steps and then he just stopped. Dude, you smoked Oliver. And it was, <laughs> Oliver, and it was like, Oliver's quick, but you were fast. There's there's I'm telling you guys out there. I'm telling you, Carl Markowski, the fastest dude I've ever seen play this game, bro. You were your speed was just it, it was insane. Like I still. It was, I just, I could see it in my mind. I can, I can watch, I can see all those races still happening. It was just, it was a pleasure. I was really glad, I was glad <laughs> I got to see there, to see it. Cause I've never seen anyone that fast since, to be honest. It, it was crazy quick confidence that I, that I got on the field too, because I had to make those decisions like fairly quickly. And I felt like my, that grew my timing because I felt like, <clears throat> I felt like timing was a gift to the risky mm -hmm. um if that yeah. makes any sense you know what i mean it, no, be... it do, well it does but it's i wouldn't say it's a gift i think that timing is something that you cultivate i think speed is a gift and you use your speed whatever it may be to cultivate your timing and you almost earn your timing because if i look at you when you first started your career and then i saw some of the moves you would pull off later but i but in your prime at least you know, I, I think that also you, then you, you would play on some teams where you felt like if you, you were the only offensive weapon, if you didn't get it done, it wasn't going to get done. And I feel like that puts you in a bad spot mm -hmm. from a tactical perspective a decent amount of times. Like, look, you, you know, when you were on shock, right, like you had some other guys that were aggressive, too, but you kind of felt like, OK, I, I got to take this upon myself to try to win this point. So you were putting yourself in tough tactical positions, making moves that you maybe would not have made in a seven man game. You would have utilized your timing a little bit more. Mm -hmm. 
So I felt like you said, I feel like the seven man format, which I would love to go see you play some 10 man. Um, I just, I, I just feel like you, because you have such ridiculous physical gifts, I don't know where your knees are these days. I know you were having some problems with your knees. How are, how are, how are your knees these days? Cause you're talking to me about wanting to go run long distances like David Goggins. Cause bro, I will warn you, I got really into running long distances after I retired and that just ate the fuck out of my knees, man. Like yeah. it's, that was, it was, I was great. I'm glad I was able to push myself like that. And I didn't, I wasn't doing ultra marathons, but at one point in time I was running like 40, 45 miles a week. Um, and it would just, it just ate my knees up, man. Yeah. Like it's not like not everyone can do that. Well, first time. off, I didn't really say how long I was going to be running for. <laughs> so it's just, it's probably more or less just to kind of get the body going and just to make, kind of lose some of this extra quarantine fat that I've gained. Um, I feel you, I feel you, brother. I feel yeah, you. yeah, I gotta, I gotta do something. And just something, it's, I might even do it more for just like a mental reset for the mornings or the day, mm-hmm. just to kind of clear anything. Uh, and I, maybe I'll do it at night, but it just, something, I just want to use it more of a, as a reset, also some cardio. But um, I just need, I just need something a little more physical in my life. I do, I do a lot of the physical stuff uh, too. I'm always playing with the kids. I'm always outside doing something. I, I'm not. I don't really like being sitting stagnant for too long, and I don't play video. I haven't played video games for uh, since high school. I mean, I, I had a set for like a couple months, and then I realized how much of a time suck it was, and I was like, I can't do this. I gotta, I gotta do something else. So <clears throat> I'm always looking for uh, you know ways to occupy my mind, and reading has become one of them. And then I, I want to start running, and I just want to be, I want to be more active in my own mind and just active in life in general. I don't know where I'm going yeah. with that, but I just, yeah, I mean, um, there's, uh, oh, so something else I want to kind of talk to you about. <clears throat> Obviously, like said, I'm down to talk to anything you want to talk about, baby. <laughs> there's a couple of things do. that I do want to talk to you off the air um, okay. that I want to just kind of bring to your attention and see what you think. But you've always been uh, one of these guys who obviously, you know, just like in uh, like in the documentary, Heroes for a day, you know, Pat kind of displays you as this kind of um, the brains, the mind, you know, the 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 peacemaker. And do you? I think one of the best scenes in that film was the the meeting. Heroes for a day, we're talking about. Yes, heroes for a day. Okay. I think one of the best scenes it was the meeting, and was I this think the scene on the hill. No, or the, with, with, no, okay. Mm-mm. This is the first meeting when the, when the team first started. When Nikki's crying. When Nikki's crying. Yeah. And and well, there's a few guys crying in that. I mean, yeah. it's it's an emotional scene. I yeah. I I push it so much on people to go watch Heroes for a Day and just and really kind of take in the aspect of what being on a team is and what it means to be on a team. And I, I really think Pat does a great job of doing that. Um, is there something in your life that kind of took a turn or, or, or did you know early on that you were kind of going to be somebody who was more mentally aesthetic rather than physically, uh, you know, attributed? Well, I, you know, I, I didn't, um, you know, I'm, I'm not small, but I, I didn't get to be six, one and 200 pounds until I was old, you know? So I, I, I didn't get to be bigger. So when I was, and I was the youngest guy in my neighborhood. So And then I also my parents put me in school when I was four instead of five. So when I graduated high school, I was 17. So my entire life 
when I was younger was formulated around, and I wasn't necessarily always the smallest because I was, I mean, I'm not a small person, but I was always the youngest. And at least I always felt like I was the youngest and in my peer group. And then, um, and then sometimes I was the smallest. And, uh, and so it, and so, and I was always playing sports. So it was like, I never really got to just coast on being the fastest. I was never fast. I got, I mean, I, I ended up being not slow, but I was, you know, I, I didn't really have a ton of physical attributes as a lever to greatness for me. So everything that I was able to do in sports or being around other guys was all my personality and what I added with my wits. Mm-hmm. Like, so, and that happened since I was a child, you know? So it's like, again, being in a neighborhood with tons of older kids and they're all, a lot of them are boys and I'm, I'm the youngest one there. So it's like, I'm not beating any of these kids up, you know, like I'm not going to outrace any of these kids. I'm not going to be able to do more cool physical stuff than these kids. I can be brave. You know, I can be willing to do what they're going to do, even though they're older than me, that's an option. And then also I can try to get myself in there as mentally as much as I possibly can. So I, I learned to live on my wits from an early age. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, when I went into, you know, I played baseball growing up. And then when I went to go to try to make the team again, it was like, you know, in Malcolm Gladwell's outliers, they say one of the best things that you can like the best attribute you can have if you're trying to be a pro hockey player or a pro any player is like be old for your age. Right. Like you were. So my birthday is the day before Christmas. And so with the way that my with my birthday being the 24th of December, I just how it all shook out. I was just always the fucking youngest and smallest, mostly kid in in the situation. So I think that the reason why and I'm so happy that that happened to me, because then when I did start to grow up and I did grow into my body and became somebody who wasn't small and wasn't slow and and could do things with my body, I was already equipped mentally with that can do attitude of a scrappy underdog. And so having that scrappy underdog mentality at all times when I actually wasn't really the underdog was uh, was a really big boost to me. So when when I would go into environments like that with paintball teams, having been through a lot of this already, it wasn't like I'd, I'd been kind of been there before, you know, so um, and it was and I, I was, you know, it just it was it just seemed kind of like that was what I was supposed to do mm-hmm. in those situations. So I, I feel like I was conditioned for it, like trained almost for the fact that so when I found paintball and then started moving into the paintball world and grew into my body, it was just like it just seemed totally normal to try to, you know, be a peacemaker, to try to be a bridge between the younger guys and the older guys, to be somebody that wasn't, um, you know, causing problems just and in, in trying to you know, be a positive, uh, prime mover, proactive personality within the framework of these institutions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that that really helped me out. So I, you know, I would joke with my parents, you know, I'm like, Oh, why did you put me, why did you torture me by putting me in and have to constantly have to fight and punch up all, at all times. But I'm so happy that that did happen because I don't think I'd be the person that I am today if I didn't have those experiences having to constantly be in that mental headspace where, you know, you have to think your way out of things. Like I'm looking at a situation when I'm a kid and I'm, you know, somebody's trying to bully me or somebody's being bullied or I'm in a, a physical sports situation and I'm not going to be the best player on the team, but I got to find a way to, to fit in and contribute. So it just, it just, it was just, by the time I got there, I'd already been doing that for 10 mm-hmm. years. So it was, it just, it just, that was just 
kind of normal at that point in time. Yeah. Do you think that's what um, uh, Shaner's kind of looked at and was like, and why he wanted to maybe draw you back from that front position into more of a role player's position? Um, maybe. I think that that was, you know, like certain people have certain attributes. And that is something that, you know, it's like, I, I mean, I love the Declaration of Independence, but all men are not created equal. I mean, we, we should have equal opportunity. That is, that is very much the case. I believe in that with all of the core of my being. You should have equal opportunity to bring your, put your specific skills and talents and life experience to the game, mm-hmm. the game of life, an actual game, whatever that may be. But as far as equality of outcome, that's to be determined by your effort and, and, and the winds of fate. Mm-hmm. So with, with Shane moving me from a front player to a back player at that time, which was a very fundamental thing that happened to me in, in my paintball career, that was uh that was i think that he saw that um they had a very specific positional need that would be a game changer for their team because you know you know it's like the the paintball players that exist now like if you look at the quality of play now and how it's evolved it's night and day light years above what we were seeing back in the day Mm -hmm. and and particularly from that position so having me he had a shit ton of awesome front players you know he had eric roberts he had billy wing he had oliver lang davy williamson i mean these are we had, we had some talents dude like generational talents over there but but our backfield was weak and so i think that you know i i can be very loud i have a very distinct and really loud voice um i'm good at communicating and um and because i can be aggressive in closed games that was that was kind of something that were he it, it was like a sweet spot for me and i did not want to do it i remember that conversation again like it was two seconds ago where he had said i'm really thinking that you know you should play you know you should be a back player and and i was like really dude like you know just 16 months ago you were telling me how i'm like the best front player on the team but okay um he's like look man i just we need that like we need this i need you to do this for the team and um and i really feel that we could be great with you back there and uh and and you have the attributes that i need out of a back player you know you have an analytical mind you are able to put those things together quickly you have a big voice so you can you know keep the communication going cross field and and we need those things um so you know, if you want to continue to play front, I get it, but this just seems foolish to me to like limit our team's capabilities by keeping your talents there mm-hmm. because I already have a ton of guys that can do that role, but I, you know, I only have one you, and so I just think this would be a perfect fit. And I was like, fuck that. I was like, I don't want to do this. But then I thought about it a little bit, and and just also because I respected Shane so much, and uh, and I wanted to play every single game um, because you know it's like. If you get a chance to literally play every single game, then with all those young lions that are eating at your spot, and I kind of looked at it also from an analytical perspective after, you know, taking a a deep breath and taking a, you know, giving it a a 10 foot pole and going like, oh, let me look at this from a 30,000 foot perspective. Yeah, okay, fuck it, dude. Let me, let me see. And I'd done that a little bit on the, on Navron before. Like I had played back a little bit before and, uh, and I enjoyed it. So I was, I, combine all those things and once i got the ego out of it 
which because ego fucks you up, man. Like mm-hmm. if you if you it, when your ego is deciding what you are or are not going to do, you're probably going to make irrational and foolish decisions. And once I took the ego out of it, it seemed blatantly apparent that he was 100% right. It would definitely make our team better. And I, you know, and we went on to win a lot of tournaments and and it worked out. So, you know, I, I'm glad that that was kind of the way it went down. But as far as, you know, all that kind of playing in, I mean, as a back player, you do have to subjugate yourself to your front players. Um, so it does take a certain type of mindset to to understand that. Um but yeah, I, I think that when I look back at the how the winds of fate have, like we said, little micro moments that that twist you one way or the other to make you then set into a new rut that is going to define your life. Um, it all it it did all kind of. It's funny. It's like uh, I don't know if you've ever seen. Uh, so there's a. Um, have you heard of the band called the Eagles? Yeah. Okay. Have you seen the Eagles documentary? Mm-hmm. You have? Yeah. Did you like it? <clears throat> Dude, it was insane. I never... <laughs> I, I, <laughs> it was so good. It was so, so good. So good. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's so good. So I, I tell people all the time, I'm like, bro, have you, see, have you seen the Eagles documentary? They're like, the football team? I'm like, no, the, the band. <laughs> and uh, But before I watched that, I mean, I grew up listening to the Eagles, but if you had put a gun to my head and told me to name all the members of the Eagles before I watched that documentary like 15 times, um, I wouldn't have been able to do it. But in that you know, so uh, there, there's a moment where, uh, you know, they're, they're kind of um, discussing that, that whole story. And, uh, and, and, they, and they're, they're talking about how it's like when you, when you look back at the chaotic moments, it's like a finely crafted novel. At the time, it seems like this just, you know, wild adventure where there's just no rules and, and everything, everyone just complete chaos. But at, when you get through it and you look back on it, it seems like a finely crafted novel. And that is exactly what my paintball career feel, feels like. It, mm-hmm. it, it feels like a finely crafted novel where there was all these ups and downs. Um, and, and that was one of those pivotal moments. So, yeah, it's interesting. You know? So so what do you think was more of a challenge for you career wise or even personally? Uh, during paintball, do you think it was transitioning to that back player, or do you think it was taking on this second team with excess energy when that split happened with excessive? Uh, honestly, I was so frustrated with the Survivor Island mentality of what we had with excessive that, like, I even though you know, so if you go back and you watch Heroes for a Day, when we went and made the film Heroes for a Day, um, we had to come up with like a you know, we had to come up with like a three hour long, two and a half hour long narrative that mm-hmm. made sense. Ideally, that that entire project would have been like a mini series. It would have been like, you know, uh, 12 hours of content because that's mm-hmm. the depth of the story that was there. So a lot of the stories that happened just ended up on the cutting room floor because we needed to craft a two hour to a two and a half hour long, you know, uh, sim- cinematic story that could be consumed in that amount of time. And so one of the one of those stories was the whole excess energy story. Our story, essentially, when you, me, Micah, Vegas, and we went, you know, Shane Harrison, Ron Phipps, Jesse Lapid, when well, we went and kind of did that second team. And 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 so it, it it did again, I have to subjugate my ego when I was in that situation as uh, Pat's creative partner to tell that story as we got into that realm, it was like, well, as much as that would have made me look like a king, 
I had to be like, well, all right, well, this is not going to work because as cool as this is going to make me look, we need to chuck all that bullshit out. And unfortunately, you know, we're just going to tell this one story, one side of this story. Um, so, but, 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 to, but during the time, and you could tell my frustration, which made the film when I was on that, that speech on the Hill where I said, you know, I'm just so sick and tired of this bullshit, man. Like, you you know, like, you know, Dave Baines is going to roll his cheating machine gun and this and that. And, you know, gave that speech where it's like, you know, so, and then once that, once you see that go off and then that we just tell the story of the main team, there was a whole nother narrative there mm-hmm. that was happening. It was very compelling where, you know, we ended up winning Miami and winning that second pro spot and then took third and lost to Dynasty, I think, or before we got knocked out in Huntington Beach that year because it almost was going to be excessive one yeah. versus excessive that two. That would have been insane. Oh, it would have been so good. Oh, that would have made it so good. But, we, you know, that's not how it works sometimes, and we lost that game. But, um, but yeah, so – but honestly, that was a little bit of a relief because – I and that's why we kind of called that team Team Fun because you know fun yeah these dudes are gonna go off and have their survivor island bullshit arguments with the abyss versus you know it's like yeah, I mean, thomas, I thomas taylor that. thomas taylor literally got in a fight with day baines in a hotel room i remember so, that like you remember that so it's mm-hmm. like all this crazy shit's happening i so you know those are their own stories but so it's like you know thomas is punching dave and all this crazy shit's happening and that was all going on on that side of things, and and we kind of had our own vibe going on, which was much more positive, more zen, more fun, and successful in its own right. And that also coincided with me doing the hosting the show for the, the TV show because I, I don't know if you remember, but I had to gear down before we went and played the finals in Miami and do the opens. Oh yeah, yeah. Before for that show, mm-hmm. and then uh, so it's like, I you know I just looked at it as. That was total. I'm, I was happy that they were able to have their own story. We were able to have our own story, all within the the confines of the excessive story overall. And and this is, but this is why I'm so passionate about trying to get people to tell their stories now, because no one's ever going to really know that story. No one's ever going to know that specific story. I mean, people are going to listen to this now. We'll know a little bit of it, but we didn't have cameras there. So, you know, the fact that the majority of my career, my entire time coming up, thank God for Patrick Spore and Rob Astamendi and Dan Napoli, that they were around for a little bit, a brief moment in time to, to categorize and, you know, catalog some of the battles that we had mm-hmm. to put that out there. But now with the webcast, like you can literally go back and if you're a pro paintball player, you can watch every single point that you played in your entire career. Like, I don't have that luxury, but that's, but that's done consciously because that's what I wanted to happen. And like that, that was a labor of love and a very fucking hard battle. That's a long story in and of itself to get us to that point. that was very expensive and a motherfucker, but you know, but uh, most of the dopest shit that all the best players in the world, even all over lane, crystal soya, especially, you know, the John Richardson's of the world, you know, me, all rich Shepherd, all these guys that played all this, all of their careers through the late nineties, early two thousands, like only a tiny fucking fraction of their games ended up filmed so their legend exists in the mind of the people that play played against and in their minds and so that's a, that's yep. fucking sucks because you know that shit is it got gone off into the dark black hole abyss you know no no one's ever going to be able to know that that just is just legend and story now and which is fucked up but that's why i'm so passionate about what we do now because 
I don't want those things to exist in the abyss. You know, if a tree falls in the woods and there is no no one there to, to, to watch it fall, does it make a sound? No, it doesn't. You know, because sound is contingent upon a human being listening to that vibration for it to make a sound. And so that that means a lot to me. So, mm-hmm. you know, but that's but yeah, I'm 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 stoked that we got to have those adventures and then we got to do that when we it was a fun fight. It yeah. was a, a successful fight, and I'm really glad you were there for that. I'm glad we got to share those experiences. That was like how you cut your teeth to become the, the player that you were because you were such a big part of our of that team at the time because you were our missile, um, and we counted on you a lot. And I still remember I remember playing in the dark in Miami, you know, mm-hmm. after gear, you know, gearing down, doing the open for the show, coming back, gearing back up, and we had to go out and play that that game, and we beat. Bob Long's team in order to win that that tournament, and then we had two pro teams after that. It was super cool. <laughs> so awesome, yeah. oh dude, uh, I get so emotional. Dude, I still have the wristband, the NPPL wristband from that what? event. Yeah. What? And I didn't. I remember I didn't have my. I lost my ID, and I had to get a temporary ID, and I still have that temp ID up up there somewhere too, with along with the medal. But I, I didn't know that you were so involved with uh, Heroes for a Day, and Pat. Yeah, I mean, I actually, I, I had to put my foot down a little bit when we started that because, um, you know, when we were we were deciding what we were going to do with that, to me, it was a no-brainer. Pat's going to be involved. It's Pat's show. Pat needs to do this. And I remember talking to, you know, the Brain Trust of Excessive, and they were like, why are you so adamant about this? You know, maybe we could do it with this guy or this guy. And I was like, no, it has to be Pat. Like, there's no one else we can do it with. And if we don't do it with Pat, we probably shouldn't do it. And uh, and then Pat and I, you know, look, I, I'm not I'm not saying I'm not patting myself on the back here. I mean, it was you know Pat was the creative force behind that, and it was his uh, um, it was his vision. But we did sit for countless hours uh, up at his you know condo in uh, northern San Diego and just go through all the footage and all the different storylines and kind of decide what or was what was not going to be that film. Um, so yeah, that was a lot of fucking work, man. That was like a good two year chunk of my life that, um, was taken up creatively by trying to live that world and then also participate in the categorizing of that world and then showing it and then deciding what was going to be the narrative for sure. To me, that has to have so much pressure. Just, just for the fact that you're you're trying to tell the story and you want to tell it in the right way, but I'm also not a filmmaker, or a writer, um, and and I is is that a reason too why you were so involved with it? Is it because of your creative career that you had a chance to pursue? Maybe did you see this as kind of, uh, kind of not necessarily a gateway, but just a way to be able to be creative in it just, in not life. Re- no, it just, it just made sense because that was just that was our road there, you know. So I mean, if you think about Pat and I's involvement over time, and I cannot overstate his creative genius. Um, but, and and I and I said this in the podcast with uh, you know, it's like that whole hero or uh, Sunday drivers um, quote, right? You know, mm-hmm. that it happens on a random Monday when you're coming. That, that that almost didn't happen. So Pat had been a big fan of what I was trying to bring to the table since since then, essentially, and so we had kind of been locked in in lockstep creatively over to what should happen so you know when the heroes for a day situation came around 
it was just it just made sense because I was a character in Push. I was the narrator of Sunday Drivers. We had worked creative real on that, but that was his baby. Then he does Serial Killers, and then when Heroes for a Day it was like we sold that concept, and uh, and it was just there's no one else that could have brought that to life other than Patrick Spore. I mean, Patrick Spore is a genius, man. Like I love Patrick Spore. His his love for the game and his his willingness to um, to really truly dedicate a big portion and chunk of his creative being to the paintball world, which did not benefit him financially, but gave the paintball world something immortal is profound. Mm. And, um, and so, so it wasn't really like, I wasn't really sitting there and thinking consciously, Oh yeah, I'm going to make a ton of, dude, I made almost no money off that. Like that was not a money thing. It was more of like, this is a stage of life that I've already seen this guy categorize for us that, that I can look back at when I'm, you know, dead and gone or that other people can look back when I'm fucking way dead. And gone. it's like, they mm. say, look, dude, you die twice. The first time you die is when you actually die. The, the second time you die is when your name is uttered for the last time. When the last time that after Carl Markowski goes to dust and then that's the, your first death. And then when the last time that somebody says your name, Carl Markowski, that's your real death. And so knowing that and looking at all this stuff that we've done is, you know, is like as, as tiny as paintball is, but it meant a lot to us at the time. And I just felt that that was such a profound story that I pushed very hard to have the right storyteller for it. And Pat was the perfect storyteller for it. And, uh, you know, and then, yeah. And then we just got in the, we just got in his, in his lab and, and just sat there and, Van just looked at the look at the footage and did the work. And everyone's like, wait, what'd you say? The Pat van? The Pat van. Oh no, I did have to ride in the Pat van, which is not the most fun vehicle to ride in. But um but yeah, no, but it's it's just uh you know, it's just funny because everyone you know, everyone's favorite everyone's favorite uh phrase these days is do the work. And I just think that's such a naive like, yes, yeah, dude, you you need to do the work. Do you know what do the work entails? Like, do you know what that really entails? Um not to shit on you for your willingness to do the work, but are you willing to sit in a room for years and do something that's going to tell a story that people will love that's not going to make you any money? Like, are you willing to do that? Like, are you willing to do the work? So um, I'm really happy that that all those things existed. Uh, every project I've been involved with with Paintball I'm proud of uh, in some way, shape, or form, even the ones that weren't all that great. But um but, you know, it's it, it was just all kind of part of the road, man. You know, it just all made sense at the time because, um, you know, from, you know, so it's like from being there with Navarone and seeing the change in paintball, getting on the Ironman, working at Die, writing for all the magazines, doing the stuff for, uh, for Pat's early films, and then being involved with the Game On stuff, that other film that was done, and then knowing Rob and taking the acting classes with him and seeing his rise up and being there with him while he did that. And then all of Pat's different films and then doing the hosting the stuff with Dan in his early stages, Dan Napoli, and then mm -hmm. doing all the voiceover work for Dan later on. It's like, I've kind of seen all of these different and then doing all the TV shows. So it's like, I've kind of been there, not 
being involved in all these things, but also with my eyes wide open, taking notes and going like, what worked and what didn't work? Like, how do we tell the story? What resonated? What do people remember? What do people come and tell me about? What did they not tell me about? And then moving into the, the webcasting world later on, you know, so it's just, it's been a really interesting road, you know, obviously with the paintball career and playing it, but then also on the other side of the camera too, with producing and narrating and, and, and being a character in a lot of these other things. So it, mm-hmm. it's been fascinating, you know, it really has. Yeah, absolutely. I bring it back to Pat when Pat was doing the headbands and everything and he involved me in making, making head dude, I was so brought back. I was so humbled. I was like, he, he was one of the first, uh, people to tell me that, Hey, uh, just, we, just during conversations, he was the one that was telling me that music was going to start turning into just noises. Like just, just <laughs> like mumble rap. <laughs> yeah. Just mumble rap. And just, and I just how like, um, rap, uh, I hate mumble rap like so much. really bassy shit. Like the, the, uh, what is it called? Um, where it's like, like all that shit. That's in music Dub, now. Dubstep. The dubstep. And he yeah, also well, told I mean, it's me. It's been a long time, but yeah. <laughs> and, and also early on, he said, hey, what you need to do, what's going to be popular, and what you need to do is start filming yourself with a video camera or, or, or whatever. Just film yourself because this YouTube thing came out. Film your life on an everyday basis and just put and just upload it. Dude. And I, at the time, I was like. Or I didn't really know what it was. I didn't. I was like, okay, I did, you know. And then, boom, and look what happens. But Pat, Pat was he was so kind to me and so gracious. And like with the headbands and everything, I still have one in the package up there that I'm just like, I'm so, so grateful for. And and uh, Pat was a genius, bro. Oh Pat my was god! Like I mean, he's a I I top I don't... to bottom. We, yeah, I, I really don't like to throw words like legend and genius around. I, I you know, people will probably be like, fuck you, Matty. You, you say this dude's a paintball legend hero and this and that all the time. I'm like, yeah, but if I'm saying a dude's a paintball legend, uh, the guy's a legend in his, in his area for sure. You know, right. like, the, and we do, cause we do have, if you know paintball, you will, will have certain legends in your area. That guy might not even be the best pro. Like Archie Montemayor is definitely, you know, arguably the best player ever to come out of Texas. But when you look at a guy like Mark Johnson, He's a paintball legend in Texas. I mean, so it's like, but I'm not going to go much farther below that mm-hmm. and use that term. Um, but a guy like Patrick Spore, are you fucking kidding me? I mean, Patrick Spore, first of all, he saw the writing on the wall before the rest of everybody did. And then he gave a lot of his life and his creative talents for for very little, very little financial compensation. And that's another conversation too. It's like financial compensation, the motive behind things. Um, you know, we could have that talk too. I think that that's an important thing, um, just because I think that that a lot of that's like lost now. You know, I think mm-hmm. a lot of people conflate and try to you know put bad motives on, on some of the actors that exist within the framework of paintball and have for a long time. Um, but I've been there literally and seen it all. I've seen other than the very beginnings. Like I wasn't there to see how Jim Lively ran you know, the stuff in the early part before the MPPL existed. And then I definitely didn't get to see how the original MPPL back in the early 90s ran. But then kind of starting in the late 90s, man, I got piped into all of this shit. And so every single person who's ever ran a tournament since the late 90s, like I knew that person. Mm -hmm. And I saw, I don't necessarily, I don't get to see their books, 
all the time, but like I, I could give you a pretty good understanding of their intentions. And these are all for the most part, like pretty good intentions. And so I just feel like even the people that run it now, you know, like we could have the, the NXL conversation too, but I, I just, I just feel like people get a bad rap and they just get wrapped up into like people get wrapped up into, you know, thinking the worst about the people that are running things. And Mm -hmm. I just don't think that's the fucking case. You know, I really don't from what I've seen. Um, again, longer conversation. We could have that conversation if you would like. I would like to have this conversation actually with you Absolutely. at some point in time. Um, it may be for another podcast. Uh, you know, I know we're getting deep into this one, and, I, and I, I'm wondering how long you want to go. I, I literally, I, I still have, I still have beers here. I still got water, so I'm down to talk as long as you want. I'm good, man. I'm good. I okay. might have to go right. get a water, but I'm, I'm, uh, no, I'm sitting good. I, okay. I would love to talk about all of this. I would love. I'm a little one thing I do want to bring up is I'm a little disappointed. I thought you were gonna ask me to come commentate um a little bit more often. But that's okay. That's right. <laughs> I've gotten over it. I got that off my chest. Okay. I'm better now. All right. Uh, <laughs> uh, where, where, and wh- when would you have expected me to ask this of you since you're not there anymore? When would that no, have been? You the day I said I was gonna retire and you were just gonna beg me to come commentate with you because you just needed me in your life. Oh, okay. <laughs> but that's that's not a personal thing. That's so just, I'm just gonna yeah. I'm just gonna kick all the other guys that have been out there for a while. I'm gonna kick Todd out. I'm gonna kick not need Todd kick doesn't Nick even want to do it anymore. Todd doesn't want to do it anymore. <laughs> it, <laughs> Rich is seems like he's getting bored. You know, it's just I you know if hey, he, look, I'm just here. I love you, but you are not as funny as Rich, bro. I mean, do you really think you're as funny as Rich? Like it's... Carl, can we have like a no bullshit conversation about this? Like, do you really think you're as witty and as funny as Rich Shufford? All right. So do I'm you think to... like you can <laughs> no, tell me not yes. at all. No, no, no. You can tell me yes. I'm just <laughs> I I mean I'm just, we can argue about this, but not at we all. We can have a we can have a creative uh we can have a creative a discussion in which we disagree it's a creative disagreement if you would like you know it's up to you okay so here's what i think <laughs> what i think <laughs> i think the people that know rich get rich mm-hmm. but the people who don't know rich and they're watching it i think might sometimes not get rich so it's like it, maybe it's hard to follow them sometimes <laughs> it's, you're not wrong you're not wrong you're not wrong but I, I, do i, I love him up there yeah. Absolutely. I'm not shitting. I'm believe me. I'm not shitting on anybody. I uh, no. I think it's. I think it's all great, man. I went through a little bit of, of a, and it was not because of that. That was just obviously joking. But it was. Uh, I was. I like being a part of things, you know. And I and I always felt that I have, that I've had, very creative uh, ideas, and I felt sometimes. And even during, I felt like I didn't really have a word, and maybe it was just because of the the whole. Um, I was a rookie on a team and getting on team and and trying to find my place where I could I could have a word because I've I've, I've always had these ideas running through my head or or game plans or just what have you. Um, but I always had this thing like again like wanting to be involved in in uh, the webcast in some way and 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 help tell stories and I think that's kind of where the podcast uh, manifested from was this this point where I was like, dude, somebody's got to tell, somebody's got to do this. Like, because you had stopped at the time uh, doing the podcast. And, and I think that was the first one that I was starting to listen to on a regular basis was your podcast. And I was like, man, this is something needs, something needs to happen to where this is picked up again. And I, I still encourage you to start your podcast. Um, but uh, 
I have a show that I do multiple times a week on Ghost Sports. You guys, everyone can tune in if they want to listen to that. But uh, you gotta sorry, get a mic, continue. bro, dude. You gotta get a mic. <laughs> just get a do get a little like snowball fifty dollar mic like mic. this, bro. I have a dope ass mic. What the fuck are you talking about? Well, why are you always using those fucking dope ass headphones then? Whenever you're you doing see the interviews, ass fucking microphone that I have. Do you here's ever use deal. it, Carl? Here's the yes, of course I do. Here's the thing, Carl. <laughs> once you've been involved in this long long enough, shit like this that you've owned for years will start to shit out on you, and then you have to just <laughs> go with whatever you got because you need to do fucking work, and that's the deal. So yeah, I got a baller ass. Hogue, uh, fucking Harlan Hogue, badass fucking Dio microphone that it's it's a little temperamental, but <laughs> it still makes my voice sound like fucking Morgan Freeman sometimes. There bro. you go, you know and that's so, that's all you want to hear. Yeah, I got you, bro. I got you. <laughs> Do you get tired of hearing your own voice? Yeah. Are you fucking kidding me? I hate listening to my own voice. <laughs> I do. I can't listen to podcasts after I do I them. I hate, hate it. listening to my own voice. I will tell people. So if Cena, if Cena and I. And I love Cena as Muda, but um, we could talk about how awesome Cena is, or Darren, or Art, but anybody that I work with that has to cut me up and put up and do what we do and do the rigmarole of like, you know, making the stuff that we make. Like, if we're in the same space to create that stuff, because we're all, you know, I'm in San Diego and Cena's in Texas, but we'll both go to the office in Florida, and that's where Art is, and that's where Darren is. But anyway, longer story, but. Yeah, dude, sometimes if, if they're just cutting me up, I will be – I will have to say like – I'll be like, hey, can you please put your headphones on because you're driving me fucking crazy. Like I don't want to <laughs> listen to myself for the next six hours while you're cutting this up. Like please, I'm, I got my own work to do over here and this is super annoying and like, yeah, no, of course. Yeah, I, of course I get tired of listening. I don't like – I don't want to – just like everyone, I don't want to listen to myself. It's just, I just start critiquing my delivery. I start – you know, uh, mind fucking myself, and yeah, I just, I, I mean, I've, I've learned over time to deal with it, and I, mm-hmm. I will deal with that if I have to. But yeah, I don't want to listen to myself talk for that long. Yeah, what keeps you from cussing on the, on the webcast? So the very first webcast that I ever did is that, because uh, you know me, like I cuss like a sailor. I mean, I when we have regular conversations, which I'm sure anyone that's listened to any of these podcasts with me will know. More than anyone that's spent any time I'll, and I'll get this occasion especially now but it's funny because you know it's like you know I, so much time has gone by I'm 42 now I've been doing this since I was 16 so I've had these different time periods of paintball career where I'm known for certain things but now they're like oh yeah you're the ghost sports guy you're like I'm just I'm like the Vince I'm like the commentator guy right and uh but uh you know so yeah it's just do you I don't know you just you have to just, at a certain point in time, it is what it is, and you have to just deal with what you are in that framework of your work. So mm-hmm. uh, this is a profession for me. So, you know, um, I don't know, man. I mean, uh, it's it, it, it's there's a lot of different ways to look at it, but I, I I've gotten very used to being who I am and understanding that that there's a lot of people that have just joined us that know, and I, I don't, I don't really care that I'm not going to try to argue with somebody and be like, Oh yeah, I used to be a badass player back in the day. Like that's not, that's not something that <laughs> I worry too much about Yeah. to be honest. So I don't know. It's, it's just, uh, I just, you get, 
like I just I, I try to be a craftsman and a worksman in my space, mm-hmm. and so I I will I will do whatever I have to do. I've I, I've done this for a long time, man. I mean, I you know I've done so many of these things that, and I've done a lot of other voiceover stuff too. So, um, you just kind of you just get locked into your pocket and you do what you have to do in order to create the things that you have to create, and that's it. And and if you try to let your ego or if you let try to let too many things get in i just i listen to the delivery and try to make the moments resonate within the framework of my voice in these things and that's it bro you know like that's yeah. that's kind of the deal but it but it, but so with the cussing thing it's like um <laughs> it's like so the very first gig that i ever did which i we could tell that story too but um 2003 huntington beach i roll up just to watch uh, and drink beers with uh, everyone that's there, and um, but I was sponsored by WDP, and so um, I'm 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 helping them set their booth up, and and uh, Bart's on the phone, you know, he's like, oh yeah, okay, cool, yeah, yeah, that's terrible, all right, that sucks, all right, yeah, he gets off the phone, and he's like, you, you do it, you'll be perfect, <laughs> like do what, and he, and he said, well, we're gonna we're gonna film all this, and we need somebody to do the commentary and the play by play, we're gonna do that live on the house mic in front of everybody for the big crowd. And we're going to also then fly you to Florida to do a TV show. Then the first guy that I worked with was, um, a guy named Mike Ricker. And I told the story before too, but man, that night I was intimidated. So I went out and got super hammered and puked and woke up on the fucking linoleum of the floor. (laughs) And it was just like, I, you know, what am I getting myself into? You know, just kind of like intimidated by the moment, mm-hmm. and uh, but then rolled up the next morning. You know, I'm gonna show up to work no matter what happens the night before, always. And uh, so showed up there, and and I met this guy named Mike Ricker, who was a radio DJ, and I talked to him, and he said, and I and I, that I asked him that specific question. I said, hey, I'm really worried about cussing, and you know, how do you not cuss in front of everybody and say fuck or shit or blah 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 this or that? And he goes. Do you cuss in front of your grandmother when you talk to her at, at Christmas? And I go, no, of course not. He's like, there you go, it's super easy. So that's that's how you keep it in your mind, at least to start out with, mm-hmm. is that you just think that my grandmother's listening, and you just keep it as super vanilla as you possibly can, um, at least for the broadcast stuff. So, yeah. So that was that was, and then once he said that, because that's true. Like I yeah. never cuss. I never. I would never cuss in front of my grandmother because if not, I would hear it from mm-hmm. her or my parents because my grandmother was very she was a very uh mind your p's and q's type uh human being and actually i have to uh give a lot of credit to my family because as i was raised speaking well was a very important thing um so if i did not enunciate my words at a young age i would you know get a little whack in the back of the head and they'd be like hey boy enunciate your words Mm -hmm. and i would make sure that i enunciated my words so um, so once he said that, he's, once he said, you know, would you cuss in front of your grand, grandmother? I said, no. And then he's like, okay, there you go. Then you will not cuss on air. And then don't even worry about it. And then I never have worried about it since. And I've never done it since. So Yeah. No, I think you do a great job. I think craftsman is, is definitely the term that I would use. Just you, you navigate the boat so well. Um, well, it's, maybe say captain the boat. Well, it's, yeah, captain. It's just weird because it's like, you know me and my personality. So the the personality that people hear when we're doing the show is not that's like a measured version of my personality because I have to deal with all these crazy people over time like Todd Martinez, Chris Osoya, 
you know, Rich Telford's, you know, like uh, Nick Sloviak. So it's like I, I have to find a way to be the even kill mm -hmm. that's going to keep us all in line and uh, even on and off camera just so we can have like some sort of professional front foot forward in these instances where it's like, well, you know, if we are going to have a snowball's chance of it being relevant, then like, yeah, because if we want to turn this motherfucker into the, you know, like into a circus, like, sure, I could do that, too. And that that's fine. Like mm -hmm. I could do some Bob Mannery commentary with the best of them. But um, but yeah, so it's just funny because like I'll meet some people at a bar or something or we'll start bullshitting and people are like, bro, you're way funnier than you are on the ghost board show. And I'm like, yo, dog. Like, do you really fucking think that I'm going to be sitting there just like cracking, like just getting like saying wild ass shit, getting all fucking crazy, like on our regular. No, that's not the case. Like the, I have to play the role that I play for a specific reason. And then also that wasn't the role that I started with because I started being the other guy. Like, cause there was like, so the, you know, so again, Mike Ricker, he was the first play by play guy for paintball in 2003 then trace worthington did that show or did that part and he was a champion ski jump jumper but for espn and so it was like i just kind of defaulted into this because as we were doing these shows i was looking around and going like oh well why is this guy here what does this person do why are we spending all this money why is this cost a million dollars legitimately and over time that's kind of how things evolve into how they are now and, and it was pat though had, that had started the or at least was a part of the, the original paintball access, right? Pat had started the original. So um, Pat did the original webcast. So so essentially I had done – sorry, I'm just getting these cords out of the way. Um, so how it worked was um, the very first show that we ever did that I started on, that story I just told, was in 2003. And then um, – done with my bottle of wine, by the way. Nice. Uh, so – the very first show was 2003 that I was involved in. And then we started to cycle through <laughs> some other stuff, you know, uh, did a, uh, you know, I, I hosted, a Dan started a, a video magazine series called Jawbreaker did those. Oh yeah. Um, and then, uh, that's did some right. Stuff. You yeah. were, you were in the videos interviewing, uh, I remember the one yeah. you interviewed, Oliver, he was in that orange paintball room, my life shirt. Yeah, so well, I was the I was the uh, the subject of episode two, and then I was the host of episode three. So Rocky started. Rocky Cagnoni started off as the first host, but then they <laughs> went away from Rocky and then went to me. Um, so then, so after I, being the 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 person who was profiled, then mm -hmm. I became the host, and then we did. Um, uh, yeah, it was like Oliver, I think uh, Marcus, and Map. I think were the next ones. Yep. yep. And then, um, but yeah, so then I did stuff for the like a three man for the WGM. We did um, the, <laughs> the 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 event for uh, ESPN two, the Gardeners uh, with the whole thing at Mahegan Sun. The world, uh, yeah. What was it called? Yeah. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Yes, exactly. So we did all that. <laughs> So anyway, after having done all of these different TV shows, so having done the stuff with uh, WDP, which didn't become necessarily a TV show, but we were starting to make stuff, and then doing the one for in Miami in 2005, doing the stuff. Anyway, did a lot of these. So then Pat came to me in 2009, which has kind of coincided with what one of the reasons that I retired, 
because I was had done everything that I wanted to do as a player and had you know been writing for all the magazines and had done all this TV work and worked with the, these uh, guys that were doing all the um, documentary you know documentarian moments the all the big like thematic moments of our lives and after having worked on those three different elements then Pat came up to me and he said hey because um, none of those things had ever been done live and so he said uh, well I know you've done all these TV shows but I think I can film this and we could broadcast it live on the internet and do a webcast this is before webcasts were even a thing and because Pat was always on the cutting edge of technology and mm -hmm. then so um, so he's like do you think you could you do the commentary live and I said, just like I've always done, I was like, sure, I give it a shot. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you just get used to saying yes. So, so he said, you know, can you do it? I said, sure. And and this is also where paintball statistics came from because, um, you know, and I've said this many times, and I will continue to say it until the fucking cows come home, is that you have what I call the five fingers of the sports marketing fist: heroes history, ongoing narrative, spectacle, and statistics. You could throw villains in with heroes, too. But having those elements live and breathe in a human being's mind is the reason that people give a shit about sports. And that's not human psychology, that's human biology, because if you look at what makes decisions in your brain, that's the limbic side of your brain, the neocortex lines up and is part of the rational elements of your brain, and so when you kind of look at how these how, how humans consume information, there's a very specific way that you have to speak to them in order to make them care. So then as we head into, uh, so then Pat's like, yeah, so we could do this live. And I'm like, okay, cool. So, the, so then, we, then we did the very first webcast. But I also at the time when we were doing the event for the, for the Smart Parts show, I realized that it would be really effective if we could have some sort of statistics to back up, you know, because you have, objective and subjective measures of greatness. So when I sit here and say like, oh, Carl's one of my favorite guys to ever watch. He's one of the greatest players. That's all subjective. That's just mm -hmm. me you know, giving my opinion about things. But objective knowledge is different because if I say Carl shot a specific amount of guys, that's, a, that's an objective measure. As hard as that is to categorize, and that's why we call it confirmed kills and not kills because you are going to lose some kills out there. I don't care how many eyes you have on it. So call I had, it alleged kills. Yeah, alleged kills. So I had uh, I had Nikki Cuba stand behind me and count how many kills that Angel Fergoza got specifically in one, and that was the birth of paintball statistics, because he just did check marks right behind me, and that allowed me to help do that part of the show. So when we moved into doing the webcast, that was like part of it, and that's why one of the reasons I love Nick Sloviak is that he showed up. I think with like Chad and Drew. I think we're the other guys, but they literally, after getting knocked out, just volunteered their time to get paintball statistics and count kills for us. And that was like the very first paintball statistics in 2009, I think it was. Um, so we did that webcast, and that was a motherfucker of a time because we were running with such a, a light crew and just trying to prove that we could actually do it, that no one slept. I think Pat slept like, he slept at the field in the you know, in the, um, the mobile mini that we had mm -hmm. and it was rough, man. It was, it was really, really, really difficult because of how hard of a technical side of things behind the scenes it was to pull that show off just to do it live. Um, but we proved that it could be done. And then that was like the seed that got planted for, for the webcast. Um, and so then, and then we just, uh, kept it going. Um, so 
it's a kind of a crazy and interesting long story, but that was where it kind of started right there with that, with the webcast. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's only getting better. I mean, I've obviously had my critiques of it, um, but I think everybody has because I, I think it's just, it's this thing that few are doing, but everyone's, you know, everybody can look at and judge, you know what I mean? So, and, and everybody who, who judges, thinks they have the best idea for what should happen or how it should be done. Cause I know you guys had, we're, we're struggling with, uh, statistics there a little bit in the beginning. Um, at least, well, when I come back, when I came back in 14, it seemed like it was still kind of gaining steam and figuring out really how everything was going to fold into each other. And, um, I mean, well, now do you it's have, just, do you have $10,000? Do you have $10,000 <laughs> that I could use to do statistics? Give me a week. A week? Okay. <laughs> if that's all it's going to take, I'll give you a week. But So the amount of money that it, it took to do the statistics that we were doing for Paintball Access was $10,000 per event. I so that it. was $50,000 a year just to do statistics the way we were doing the Paintball Access. So mm-hmm. you know, so that was why, again, with FanWagon is, is that, uh, you know, again, God bless Cena, but you know, having to, to put some sort of, uh, you know, um, capitalistic understanding and, and building something where people could consume it and then that could help pay for it was a solution to make it exist. Right. Because that's, and, 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 you know, and you and I have had this discussion off camera, but it's like, dude, this, I can't keep going to rich people and asking them for fucking mountains of money to light on fire so that people, the people that love paintball can have a show. Like that is no longer a fucking option anymore, mm-hmm. man. Like I've done this so many times. Dave Youngblood at one point in time would write a number down on a whiteboard during interviews where he'd be or uh, during uh, um, meetings where he'd be yelling at us, like literally yelling at us. And and I and I could do a fucking three hour long podcast of how the webcast even fucking exists. Um, but it's been a motherfucker and. And uh, and he would write a number down and he'd be like, this is real money. If you guys don't think that this is real money, this is how much money And it would be like, you know, tens of thousands of dollars, bro, like two hundred thousand dollars. Be like, this is how much money I've lost in the past six months doing this show, allowing you guys to do this show. How are we going to make this money back? Tell me now. Right this second. Tell me now. And I'd be like, all right, well, I'd start telling him how. And he'd be like, yeah, that's not good enough because it wasn't enough. You know, and and then he'd be like, this is a real amount of money. This is real money coming out of a real bank account that we are lighting on fucking fire to do this. And we can't find a way to make this number jive. Then this is fucking done. And we're going to and there will be no webcast anymore. Mm -hmm. That's been my reality. And this entire time, you know, if you go back and you and and people like just fawn over. Oh, my God. Oh, a Huntington Beach and this in time it was so amazing and we had it was so great and the World Cup this and that like that was all unsustainable bullshit with people lighting motherfucking money on fire that was that was that that's not our reality dude like that was literally people that had an idea that wanted to make it happen and they lit a fuck ton of money on fire that, and that doesn't exist for a reason there is no Huntington Beach for a reason we don't have paintball on TV for a fucking reason so if anyone would like to come up to me with a business plan and a fucking big ass like checks that they want to write and you guys want to do shit on TV again. Cool. I'm down.
because we can produce a cool show. But I've been involved again. This we could do three hours just on this, bro. <laughs> but it's like, like that th- that shit is naive child's play mindset where you think that I love this, somebody else should love it. Oh, I love paintball so much, and if we just show people paintball, that they're gonna fucking fall in love with it, and immediately it's gonna be the biggest thing tomorrow. That is the naivest fucking mindset in the world. That is unfortunately not how shit works. And I'm down to have that argument if anyone wants to have that argument, but like that is just not how it works because I've been in the fucking trenches the entire time through all of these shows, every single one of them, like literally every single one of the shows. If you want to go blow for blow, like through every single one of these shows going all the way back to 2003, like I've seen how the sausage was made through all this shit. And we have found a fucking way over all this time to make it at least a sustainable reality. Mm-hmm. And that way is through pay-per-view. So if you are not participating and subscribing to Go Sports, that's part of the free rider problem. It's just, again, it's an unfortunate reality. This is just part of the deal of modern society. If you like something to exist, but you are not participating in, it, in its existence financially, then you are part of the free rider problem. Because you are free riding on something you think should be whatever it is supposed to be. Because who the fuck is supposed to pay for this stuff? And it, if you think it's the paintball companies, then you have a gross understanding of how the mechanisms of all those those companies exist. Because I have been there the entire time trying to beat blood out of a fucking turnip from all these companies being like, hey, how much money can you give us? The entire time that we when we first started the webcast, it was so difficult. It was just trying to get enough money out of the paintball world to at least make the make it in the black. Just get it in the black by a dollar. Just mm-hmm. a fucking dollar. And we couldn't even come close. So we were still just lighting fucking mountains of money on fire. Like just a shit ton. Hundreds of thousands of dollars on fire in order to make that happen. Then when the transition from the PSP to the NXL... I, after we had learned the lesson of pay-per-view because I didn't want to go to pay-per-view because I was scared shitless of going to pay-per-view because I didn't know if it would work. Um, I didn't know if we could actually generate enough revenue and it was a big, big risk, but it was a risk we had to take because the other answer was completely shut everything down and then paintball would have no show and we would go back to having tournaments where everyone is just playing and no one gets to watch it or it would be a pathetic like just fucking do we want just security cameras up there do we want amateur hour terrain is that Mm -hmm. what we want is that the solution to things um not on my watch so you know anyway longer conversation but um but yeah so i've I've, it just having been there through all of this transition through literally every single micro ounce of the transition and seeing all of it um through all these different TV shows, into the into the webcast, through all the magazines, seeing all the magazines go out of business, working for companies, seeing the, the companies deal with the way they had to do, getting sponsored by all these people, all the different teams that I was on, like, I'm just, I've got a pretty big fucking massive chip on my shoulder, and I'm willing to argue with anyone about where we are right now, because we're doing the best we fucking can. And if you got a problem with that, I would like a big ass check, or I need you to fucking show the fuck up at six o'clock in the morning, to help us out, you know, because if not, then all you're doing is talking shit on the sidelines. You know, you're the dude that's standing there being like, you fucking suck with no solution to what we're supposed to do. That's the Internet. 
That's what I think the internet is. I think the internet is a complete. I'm cool deterrent. with that. I don't give. I don't give a fuck about the internet. I'm talking about anyone else that's not. That's not like I don't care about the random dude on the internet that's talking shit on Instagram or Facebook. Fuck those guys. Like I'm cool with that. The you've you you've heard the uh, Teddy Roosevelt speech, right? We've just have we have we ever have you and I ever discussed the Teddy Roosevelt speech? I don't you think would, so. I, I think you'd appreciate this. Let me pull it up real quick if I can find it. But um, so Theodore Roosevelt president of the United States. And, you know, he has a pretty mixed legacy as a president, depending on where you're at on the woke uh, um, yeah. spectrum. But, uh, you know, I mean, he was very, he's a, he was a big hawk involved in the Spanish American war. He lost some sons in the, in the, uh, in world war one. He kind of changed his tune a little bit, but, uh, but he wrote this one speech about, it's called the, the, um, the man in the arena. And I just think that this is just pulled up real quick. I read this before. So here it is. It's not the critic who counts. It's not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred with marred with dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes up short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming but who does actively strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows at the end triumph of high achievement, who at the worst fails, but at least he fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. I've never heard that. Teddy Roosevelt. But anyway... Well, what I'm what I'm saying is that everybody has an opinion now to be able to pick apart things that people are trying to create. Like that, that there's just there's just that part of the internet now where everybody has these opinions. No matter who you are, no matter what status you are, no matter no matter where you live, no matter what it is, you have this power to be able to be as negative as often and as possibly negative as you can be to tear anybody down to try and cancel anything to just because you don't like them and rather than hearing them out you just want you want your opinion heard and for that person or company or name whatever in here needs to be changed because i don't like it it's yeah. like we're, we're, we're we don't want to talk with each other we want to we want to cancel each other out we want we want yeah a to defeat b fuck that yeah how about that you know fuck that because I'm not down. I'm just saying that yes, that is that's a thing, but that look, I like, dude. I've never. I, I'm 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 in the arena, you know. So I may make mistakes and things may not be the best, but I'm going. And this is why I I have dealt with every person that's ever run every one of these tournaments, you know, going all the way back to pure promotions, even before that. Uh, so. Yeah, and, and I've worked with all of these people on the way. They all had the best intentions. Everyone loves paintball. Mm -hmm. Every single one of them. Currently, Bart Yakimek, Randy Smith, like those dudes get beat the fuck up. The MPP, the, the, the NXL, as it currently exists, they get beat the fuck up because people can, like, they look at those people like, oh, they're greedy, all this and that. I'm like, dude, look, do you really think this, this is why I just, it doesn't make much sense to me because those dudes do not need this. 
They don't need this struggle. They don't need this grief. Mm -hmm. Those guys are independently wealthy. They don't give, they don't, as far, financially, from a financial perspective, just financially, they don't give a fuck. Bart Yakimek and Randy Smith do not need a dime from the NXL. Those dudes are going to be rich forever and has nothing to do with the NXL's financial success or failure. If, if anything, it's like Dave Youngblood, Dave Youngblood got beat up before because you know he that guy stepped in during the Great Recession when everyone left and put like I think it was like five, four, five, six hundred thousand dollars into the PSP at the time to keep it from going under. So if the if if he hadn't stepped up, everyone else bailed. All the other dudes, all the other major industry lights bailed at the time. We're like, ah, eh, we're not going to save it. Dave stepped in and put that money up. So we're going to talk shit on Dave over wanting to have an opinion about what the fuck it, what we're doing with professional paintball after a couple years later, after that dude put all that money up to save it. <laughs> like that's stupid as fuck. That doesn't make any sense. We're, we're not going to let this guy have a say. So, and then, you know, then the NXL comes in hostile takeover essentially of the powers that be because, and you know, Dave made mistakes. I sat in with meetings, bro. I've, I've been in all of these meetings with these people. And so I sat in with the meetings with Dave and I was like, look, you need to listen to these people. If you don't listen to these people, it will, you, it's to your deficit. And he didn't listen to me and, uh, other people around him. And then sure enough, those guys came in and cause it's all, it's, it, it, we're selling story here, man. Right. Like what is, what, what is this? We're selling fucking story. And the story is who cares about you? Right? So at the time, even though. You know, that was not necessarily like Dave was Dave was not in the NXL, the PSP business because he was greedy about, you know, trying to make a shit ton of money off off paintball. Like that was not the case because I saw their books. I, I have not seen the NXL's books, but I kind of can generalize based on what I've seen off the PSP because it ain't that far away. And so I know that the amount of money that was put in that needed to equalize things and, and make it profitable, not stupid math. I'm not talking about like you're sitting here and you're like, look at all these teams that showed up. Oh, these guys should be fucking printing money. Like that's not real math. That's not real business math. Mm. And so, um, so yeah, so then seeing that and then going in and working with the NXL guys and then knowing, you know, I don't know Randy super well, but I've played golf with Randy. I've spent time with that dude. Like he's not doing that because he's trying to sell me on it. Like I, I want you know, we're I, I'm that guy's. He doesn't give up. Like he, he's rich, bro. Like he doesn't. He's not making. He's not going into paintball thinking like, oh, I'm gonna make all this money off the NXL. Bart Yakimek, same thing there. Like those dudes do not need. They, they don't. It's not worth the headache for them. Hmm. Like the 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 amount of money that they could potentially make. It's just not worth the money. They only they're doing same reason that Dave did. Dave did it because. He felt that it needed leadership at that time, which it did. He had the means to do it, which he had. And so he put that money up. And then you putting that money up gives you say. And then so that's what actually brought the PSP from the brink of bankruptcy and brought us out of the Great Recession. Like, not a popular opinion, but that's the fucking truth. Then you go into the modern era, and then Dave should have listened to everybody. That was his fatal flaw there. Mm -hmm. And that's why he gave up control. And this is why ego can fuck with you is that, you know, he should have listened to what these other people that really wanted a seat at the table and what they had to deal with because they deserved a seat at the table. And so he should have given them a seat at the table, but he didn't. And so that's why the NXL basically came in and took over. Then the NXL gets a bad rap like, oh, the NXL is greedy as fuck and they're printing all this money. They're not. 
printing fucking money off off the paintball players. I'm sorry, but that's just not the fucking case. Like, no, again, I have not seen the balance sheet for the NXL, but I saw the balance sheets for the PSV, and knowing what it was going to take to have the NXL go, like, they were losing a fuck ton of money when they first started, so they probably even haven't even made money on the on on the the on the um, on the balance over time. Mm-hmm. Maybe last year, maybe a little bit, but not enough that it's going to create greed. And again, these guys don't need that money. And when you sit down and you talk like Randy, I, I remember going up to to uh, Randy Smith's house to meet the Heat guys and do an interview for PBA back in like 2012. Randy Smith was drinking red wine and sitting there and watching fucking Dirter videos after everyone went to sleep. He just loves paintball. Mm-hmm. And then Bart Yakimek, like, he also loves paintball too. And neither one of these dudes need that money. So it's like, I just don't understand. Like, if you look at, like, uh, it's like Occam's Razor. The, you know, the most obvious and blatant explanation for something should probably be what happens that makes the most sense from a logical perspective. And this, again, may not be a popular decision, or popular opinion, but to be, on- to be honest, I really truly think that this is the case. None of those dudes need this money. They just love fucking paintball. So whatever is happening in between is just, if there's a disconnect, it's like a disconnect of what the people that on the outside think needs to happen and then their uh, execution of those things. And But it's like, I just feel like I could explain a lot of way of those decisions because, again, I'm not their accountant, but mm-hmm. I've just been there to watch it and like knowing how rich those dudes are, they don't fucking need any of this bullshit. In fact... We're almost driving the paintball patrons away. We're driving the people away that have the ability to actually make a change by accusing them of greed when greed is actually not the case. It just doesn't make any fucking sense. So, like, I just sit in this situation and I'm just like, oh, bro, this is bad, you know? We're going to, at a certain point in time, the guys that give a fuck that have a means to make a change are going to say, like, this isn't worth my time because Mm -hmm. I'm just tired of getting people talking shit on the internet when all I want to do is the best thing for the sport. And like, maybe they don't know what the best thing for the sport is, but the intention is the best thing possible. You know, it's like, and they are, and a guy like Bart and Randy, even though like dynasty talk shit, I'm all the time and other, and other teams that don't have the money to fork up, to pay for these dudes. Um, they, you know, they'll say, Oh, it sucks. Cause that, this is the situation we're in. But like, dude, Ryan Moorhead is a solid gold dude. He gets to he gets paid. Chad George is a solid gold dude. Those guys get paid to play paint to be professional paintball players because somebody actually loves the sport enough to give them a living to do it. And again, that is the history of all sports. If you go back in time and look at the history of football and baseball and all these other things, like can you imagine being a, a baseball player in like the 1890s and you go to your parents and you're like, I'm gonna play pro- I'm gonna play baseball professionally, and they're like, <laughs> Wait, what? You're going you're gonna to go play baseball professionally? You're fucking crazy. No, we need you to run the farm. And you're like, mm-hmm. no, but this guy, he, he owns like a, a factory and he owns this baseball team, so I'm going to work for the factory on the, in the off season, and then he's going to pay me like a couple grand a year, which is like way more I'm ever going to make on the farm here, and that's what I want to do, which is what happened back then. And that if you were that person's dad, you would have been like, fuck you this doesn't make any sense but that's how all professional sports were built so i'm just a little frustrated with the way things have shaken out a little bit and how these dudes get fucked you know in their intentions to i be can honest. tell just just a little bit like 
But it's all perception. You know, you, you have your perception of what happened being in the trenches, and then everybody else who just sits on their ass and watches whatever you guys produce, they can have their they have their opinion. And it's, you know, it, yeah, I understand people like that get a bad rap being in that position, and you know, you can't obviously listen to everybody, and you have to have a selective, you know, you you have to also. Yeah, you have to find that happy medium of listening to knowing who to listen to and knowing who not to listen to. But if somebody comes, you're right. But if somebody comes and talks to me and they're like, bro, two and two is five. And also uh, um, on the road is not a great American novel. It's trash. And also Einstein doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. At a certain point, I'm going to listen to this person and go, you know what? You don't know what the fuck you're talking about. (laughs) Fuck you. You know, like that's there's a certain point like I'm going to listen to everyone's opinion, but I do not need to take your opinion and take it as the gospel if your opinion is dog shit. Oh, yeah. So there's definitely a fucking line there, you know? Yeah, absolutely. But I I mean, I know maybe it's just maybe it is because it's just the Internet and the Internet. you, You can be as loud as you want now. I mean, maybe that's, that's the... fine. I don't give a shit. At the end of the day, I'm still going to do what I do, which is we're going to put out content and we're going to charge a premium for it. People are going to show up and at, there's a, a tournament's happening. Here's the entry fee. Mm-hmm. You're going to show up. This is what it's going to cost. And that's it, man. Like, that's the litmus test. You know, it's like, so pe- you're right. People can say whatever the fuck they want to say. But at the end of the day, there is not everything is true you know it's like yeah. people could say like you know yeah Carl Markowski you know not that fast bro you know not that charismatic he was kind of shit and I would be like I look at this person and think wow you were not watching any of the stuff that actually happened and you don't know what the fuck you're talking about and I'm sorry but that person's opinion doesn't carry as much weight as somebody that actually got to watch you play mm-hmm. so again dude the quality of outcome absolutely a quality of opportunity. I'm sorry. A quality of of of, uh, of opportunity for sure. A quality of outcome. Fuck that. Like, I'm. I don't. Not all opinions carry the same weight. Yeah. And at least in my business and where I'm at, you know. So it's like, I just, you know. But it's frustrating for me because it's, you know, it's like I, I just. It it it's a frustrating situation when we're when we have so much at stake. Because. Every single person that, that looks at Go Sports as offering and decides, you know what, this shit should be free. I'm not going to give you $10 a month. That causes paintball a drastic deficiency. Mm-hmm. And if and if the more people that think that, the worse that it gets. Because I I've I've run out of rich people to go and get money from. Like I I've, I've lost the I can't go to any more rich people and be like, hey, can you please give me $600,000? I need to light it on fire to hope that maybe we can, you know get Red Bull to come in because Red Bull doesn't give a shit about of us about us. Red Bull does not want anything to do with us. They don't want anything to do with paintball. Like that is just again, that's our meat hook reality. So, you know, we can can sit we can sit here and think about all this pie in the sky bullshit or we can say, hey, this is who we have. This is what we're dealing with. Let's circle the wagons and try to move forward. And which is what I've been doing for years. You know, it's like who's on my side, who's not on my side, who's down to roll, who's not down to roll. And that's my that's my reality, and we've been able to find a way to make it work. So I'm going to continue to do that, you know. So that that's my that's my my question to the paintball world: Are you down to roll, like, or do you think that we have 
the cavalry coming over to hills to save us and we're going to whine and complain about what could or could not happen or are, are you down to fight with me on this front line that we have currently that exists because that's all that's ever existed and that is our reality that that's it man that is literally that's that's it that's 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 what i deal with and have been dealing with day to day for a long period of time you know so well and now it's even you know now you have to work out something even more new because of the quarantine because now yeah. it has now it has to be something that we've ran into something that in our lifetime we've never really run into before and you in, in your job i'm obviously not speaking for you but but what you guys base your business off of it doesn't exist anymore so it, for the time being so now you, i'm sure you guys are in this in this state of like we have to make something happen obviously there's there's the pre-recorded everything that's happened since you know the the webcast has started but we're in such a time of like needing to be in the you know in the rolodex of things happening and you know now with these one-on-one leagues and everything coming out it's uh I mean, do you see the five-man format changing and, 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 and the one-on-one stuff getting bigger and bigger? Or do you see us kind of just going back to normal? I don't know. I don't know. All I know is what's in front of us, right. which is why I have driven out to Texas twice. I have gotten a car and driven to Texas 40 hours round trip because I'm not going to sit on a fucking couch and allow everything that I have built that we have collectively built for this entire time to light on fire. And because all we have the ability to do is one-on-ones because the NXL is shut down. Right. We, have, we are living in the COVID-19 world. I, I, I took my first COVID test this morning. I fucking sat in line with a bunch of fucking cars and rolled up and got my nose fucked by a swab, you know, in order to get a COVID test because I had driven to, you know, a hotbed of the COVID world. But I did that because I'm willing to do whatever the fuck I need to do in order to make paintball content live. And that's what we're trying to achieve. And this is, again, why it just pisses me the fuck off that we are in a situation where people don't understand what we're trying to achieve here. You know, like, who is going to pay for all this? You know, is it going to be, you think all the companies are going to pay for it? All the companies are hurting right now, you know, like... That's not the case, dude. It's just the, the free rider thing is like having somebody else show up to give you what you want to consume is not how things are going to move into the future. So five on five, I don't know. I have no idea. I have Tom Cole coming on the show tomorrow. Um, I'm going to ask Tom about it. And to, I promise you that Tom doesn't know. And that's mm-hmm. why we had so much uncertainty about what was going to happen. You know, Tom Cole, as much as I and I do love Tom Cole. And I do appreciate what the NXL guys have done, but um, you know they don't know what the fuck is going on. Nobody does, and that's where we're at right now. So that's my question to the entire paintball world: is like, are you willing to ride with us? Do you want to ride with us? Do you want to help build towards a better future? If you want to stand on the sidelines and talk shit about what could be better, I that's cool. That's one way to help. We'll try to do the best we can and pivot based on your fucking criticism. You know, we'll try to understand the criticism that we're taking and try to treat that the best we can, just like I would in a paintball game. But, you know, we're also all hands on deck at this point in time, man. You know, it's like this is where we're at, dude. Like what we've built over this entire time for 25 or 30 fucking years is at stake. So, you know, yeah, if, if you want to 
think that we, you know, it's like people are like, oh, the NXL should be doing this and it's like, should be doing that. It's like, oh, really? What would you do if you were in that situation? What would you do? You know, like if you were a, a, a company that had to congregate a thousand people together during COVID-19 based on all these changing requirements based on these states and based on where you're going, like what, what would you do? Like this is a very confusing time. So with the ultimate shootout, we brought that out because we've been we've been sitting on like a one-on-one concept for a little bit of time. We had to very quickly decide what that was it was not going to be. Yeah. Just because again, we're not going to just like I'm not going to sit around and let every all the momentum we built up over time and be like, oh well, oh we can't do five on five paintball. Well then, cool. Well as soon as the world decides that it's got its shit together. We're going to get back in and do this. Fuck that. Are you kidding me? Like, not a chance in hell that was going to happen. And so that's why we have the ultimate shootout. That's why that, you know, we went out and we did uh, with Go Sports, we did uh, the pro tour as well, too. You know, and we tried to be as safe as we possibly could. That's why I put my own health at stake to go to these places and showed up and got my fucking nose swabbed today. So to make sure that I was good to go after going into all of these places that could I could potentially get COVID, you know, mm-hmm. with my mom who has fucking cancer and my wife who's pregnant, you know, like I'm doing these things because I'm just not going to to stand by and let the fucking world burn. I'm yeah. going to do something about that. I don't care what the fuck happens. And Tim would probably be smiling at us right now and being like, fuck, yeah, Maddie, that's what I'm talking about, you know, because that's what we're talking about. So again, dude, I will take all criticism, but if you're standing on the sidelines and bitching and moaning about what the fuck we should or should not be doing better, but you're not doing shit, then I don't really have a lot of sympathy for you. You know, like I will listen to what you say, but like we're gonna we're gonna try to do the best we can. We're gonna throw a product out. If you don't like it, cool. If you do, cool. And we'll change it however we can. But like that's I've been that way, you know, again, since the beginning, I wasn't going to be like, I'm not good enough to play for this team. No, I'm going to jump in and fucking try to do it. Yep. And and if I can do it, cool. And if not, cool. But like, at least I'm going to try. So that's where we're at right now, man. You know, like, that's really where we're at. We're trying to save paintball. You know, like, that's a and, and that's a real thing, because what else is happening right now? Like, what else is happening? There's nothing else happening. You know, there is literally nothing else happening. No other thing is happening. There's no other big leagues that are going down. If they are, let me know. We, maybe we can get a camera crew out to it, but we're in a fuck situation. So how are you going to respond in a fuck situation? Are you going to whine and complain about it, or are you going to be proactive? And that's why we've been trying, and I've been trying to be as proactive as I can in this fuck situation. Yeah, it, it's times like these when when things need to rise and things need to come things need to just materialize and at the most this is the this is the most crucial time i feel where something needs to happen and if it's going to happen um now and now is when it needs to happen because like you said there's nothing else happening it's happening that that's what i'm saying we're trying to do this bro like it was the vibe the vibe at the ultimate shootout after spending 40 fucking hours in the car was awesome you know really was cool for the second time the second mm-hmm. again, second time driven out to fucking Texas, but it was it was great, man. It was just awesome to see that people wanted to be there, and it, we're trying to be as safe as we possibly can. You know, everyone, you were forced to wear masks, um, social distance, and and we were trying to do our due diligence to make sure that you know we could do it as safe as possible. Um, there's been some talk of potentially, you know, with 
again, I'm going to talk to Tom tomorrow, so we'll see what he says about the future and, uh, you know, they're trying to do World Cup, but, I mean, dude, I I just, I I can't, man, I can't just sit around and bide my, and and twiddle my fucking thumbs and read dope history books while (laughs) all this shit... Yeah, while, while, while this shit fades, ugh. you know, I can't do it. So th- that's where I'm at. You mm-hmm. know, that's what that's what I'm doing. So if anyone wants to do shit like that with us, cool, let's go. You know, let's do it. Um, that's that. And so I just, you know, I, again, it's just I, I just I have little patience and for the naivety of uh, of people that think that they know better, you know, because I, I want I would like their help, you know, because <laughs> yep. like or do or start your own shit, you know, start your own shit. So, sorry yeah. if I have like a little bit of a chip on my shoulder, but I didn't get to where I am by you know being tame <laughs> and passive about this about this stuff. No, it's good. It's good because it's the it's the truth. I mean, that's that's the biggest thing is that it's the truth. And um, you know, are are you guys planning or is there any talk about going out of Texas or is it primarily staying in Texas for the time being? No, we <clears throat> of course we're going to get out of Texas, but you know. Uh, paintball fit is kind of like paintball paradise for us because oh yeah that's right that's it's, where it's 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 perfect you know so um you know i mean i ideally we want to keep this thing going like, dude there's seven thousand dollars for first place for the finale like and it's always been my goal is to provide it i but but this is why it pisses me off too it's like look dude if you're not down to participate in this pay-per-view model it's like the ufc the reason why guys like conor mcgregor can make so much money is because they create such a dope story and people are willing to pay for that narrative to see what happens. And that's why those guys get paid money. Like mm-hmm. I'll never forget ever, you know, again, heroes, history, ongoing narrative, spectacle, statistics, the five fingers of the sports marketing fist, throw villains in with heroes. But I remember talking to Nikki Cuba's old girlfriend at the time and I go over to, to go hang out with Nikki and watch uh, 24-7 um, HBO documentary series about Mayweather fighting Ricky Hatton and uh, and she's like oh Maddie how you doing I'm like I'm good and she's like why are you over here I'm like oh I'm gonna watch this this thing about this boxing match and she's like oh I hate boxing boxing's stupid it's violent blah 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 she, after and then I'm like okay cool didn't think much of it then she ends up showing up to watch this fight and, and I said why are you here at this bar three months after this, you know, we had this discussion about you telling me how much you hate boxing to watch this fight. And she's like, well, she's like, yeah, but I just really want to see Ricky Hatton beat the shit out of Floyd Mayweather. And so she was suckered in because humans are emotional robots Mm. and they're, they're, they want to, they want to hear a good story. And so, you know, we're in a similar situation with paintball and, um, and that, and that's just where we're at. Cause if we think that, you know, with, with, you know, with the spectacle of paintball, like, no one's getting knocked unconscious, no one's going to the hospital, no one's doing a crazy, insane 360 flip to captivate the masses. That's not the case. It's a much more subtle battle. So if we can't go with, we can't lead with that that crazy narrative of, you know, Karl Markowski versus this person, then we're fucked. You know, because there is no payoff on the spectacle. There is no insane spectacle where. This person's gonna get, you know, this, you're not gonna go to the hospital, man. Like you could get literally shot 50 times, and you're not going to go to the hospital, and you're not going to get shift, shot 50 times because that's not in the rules. So, 
so we so we have to really truly think about like why should people give a shit no one wakes up in the morning and cares about you or your struggle they are made to care why should they care and if we can't give them a reason to give a shit then we are just pissing into the wind and so that's what i think about all the time that's what i that's my job essentially is to like try to make people care but i only have so much to work with based on how much people are willing to give me to work with mm. you know so so anyway so it's like yeah, I'm stoked on the one-on-one because at least now we have a, a financial benefit for the people that do win. Because and that's this has been my goal the whole time. But that goal is centered around making people care. Because if I can't get enough people to give me money to watch this, just like all sports, then no one's ever going to benefit from it. And so I I need enough people to buy in so that on the tiers that we could like make those people make money off that. And so with the one-on-one now, at least for the seven or for like the finale. You're gonna win seven grand. Like you, if, if you came in, Karma Kelsey comes in and wins an ultimate shootout, or you take second, you are immediately into the finale, and then you have a chance to win seven thousand dollars. Like we've never seen that before. You guys let so, retired, washed-up uh, pros come in and, and Carl. Play the if you if you want to get into the ultimate shootout, I will promise you right now on air a chance to play in the ultimate shootout. If that's what you if you want to go, like I fucking promise you that we will get you a shot in in early enough to get in. Like we're casting, we're trying to cast the next one that's coming in. Yes, a thousand percent. If you want to come in and play the ultimate shootout, I will assure you right this second, because I'm one of the people involved, you can get a shot in the ultimate shootout. And if you take first or second, then you can go to play for $7,000. Third for uh, $3,000 for third place, $1,000. $3,000 for second, $1,000 for third place. Okay, we'll talk more. All right, I'm just throwing it out there. Just throwing it out there. So, you know, again, and that's been that's been kind of my goal this whole time is to try to create something over time that we could build up that enough people would give a fuck about and we could create enough of a vibe financially that I could get dudes paid. Like that's what I really, really wrote. That's my that's been that's been the whole reason that I've been doing this for ten fucking years. Yeah. But I need but I need people's support to do that. Like I, I need people to buy in to what we're trying to do. And the like, this isn't good enough. Like I, dude, I, that's cool. Like I understand we're we're trying to do as much as we can. So like I appreciate the criticism, and we'll try to adjust as much as we can. And I have been. I've I've taken all the criticism for over ten years. You know, like I really have. But at the end of the day, somebody has to show up early in the morning, build the thing, show the thing, participate in the thing, pay for the thing, and then then we can get people paid. Yeah. You know. So it's like that's. That's my struggle. That's what I'm doing. What are you? What is that everyone else doing? You know, it's like if you're sitting there talking shit, cool. Like I'll try to adjust on your shit talking, but like you're really not helping us build it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? so. Dude, and on that, let's. I, I want to chat for just a little bit longer after this, but on that, I think that's a that's a great way to uh, motivate everybody who's listening to get involved in one way or another, and and getting involved that's the just real means. Deal, man. That's the real Sign deal. Up. I'm beer. I'm beers dream. Beers deep. I got. I'm. I'm just. This is just as honest as fuck, man. I'm just being super honest with everybody. I love That's it. it. Man. That is it. That's the deal. Like if. Uh, like ride with me or not. You know. Again, you want to talk shit on the sidelines? Cool. I will try to adjust to your shit talking. I will do the best I can to make this thing the best thing that we can be. But if you're not there in the ground, uh, like with us in the arena, getting kicked in the fucking teeth, like we have been for this entire time then I, I mean you know what are you really doing you know like how much is you are you really helping if you give a fuck that much yeah. you love paintball that much what are you really doing you know like you you guys know what i've been doing 
So help me. Help me help us. Help me fucking help us. Like, what are you doing? You know, so that's that's my that's my challenge to everybody, especially in this pandemic world. I literally just drove through the fucking literally through the, the, the heat of the desert into the fucking craziness of the pandemic where everything was fucking going crazy and had to come back and get my nose swabbed with my fucking mom with cancer, and my wife, pregnant wife. What the fuck are you doing? You know, help us out. Help us out. Seriously, if you're sitting in your garage and talking shit, fuck you. You know, like that's not helping us out. You know, like help help us help me help us. Please hit me up, DM me. Like, what what are you doing? Seriously, that's my challenge to the fucking paintball world right now. Yeah, you scare me when you yell at me like that because you're, <laughs> you're looking right at me. <laughs> I appreciate I'm it, just, man. I'm I know, I, I love it. I love the passion. Real, dude. Like, this is where we're at, man. I, I know. I spent this... my whole life doing this. I, spent I understand. My whole life doing this. So this is where we are at. I'm being honest with you guys. This is the, this is it. The gauntlet is thrown down. So what are you going to do? How are you going to respond to this? That's my question to everybody out there. I've been responding. I've, I did, I've done what I can. I'm going to continue to do what I can. I will drive to Kentucky if that's what I need to do for maybe the next event, which is like a throw-together event with the pro teams. Ooh. I'll do whatever I can. I'll spend six fucking days driving to Kentucky and back if I have to. But what the fuck are you guys doing? Please help me. Help me help us. Please. There we go. Thank you. (laughs) Appreciate it, man. Thank you, Maddie, so much for sitting down and being able to open up. I really hope we get more conversations. There's so much that we didn't cover. There's so much that we didn't cover. Uh, And we were almost at a four-hour podcast. Um, Man, I can sit and talk to you all day. And I I really hope that we can uh, stay in touch and continually do some, uh, some podcasts and and uh and reminisce we got a lot of time brother and i appreciate it love you and uh thank you to our uh, our sponsors that is melavio the cbd company who has some amazing products and uh, an amazing uh company in its own like i said they have some memorial t-shirts for tim montressor fund where all proceeds go to that fundraiser um that fund and uh, make sure you get grab one of those uh, along with grabbing some product uh, and using the promo code capital TPOP for 15% off. Try anything over there. I promise you, you will not be, you, you won't be uh, let down. I promise you. It, if you're interested in CBD at all, uh, they have many ways of uh, taking it and their products are amazing. Thank you, uh, Melavio. Uh, big thank you also to Charm City Paintball. You guys, if you're looking for headgear, whether it be a head wrap or whether it be a headband, um, him and I have been talking back and forth on, on, on just how, how quality all of his material is. It's great to see. Uh, he comes up with all kinds of, uh, of, of great combinations of materials and textures, and it's, it's really cool. And I promise you, once you get a headband or, or a head wrap in your hands, you will not be disappointed. It is, uh, it, it's great work. You can find him at Charm City Paintball on Facebook as well as Instagram. And uh, another big thank you to everybody out there, all the listeners, all of the, uh, the patrons that are, that, are, that are helping me out and helping the podcast out. I really much appreciate it. Thank you all so much for listening. Um, this being episode 100 is very meaningful for me, and I, I want to continue uh, to episode 200. I want to keep going. I want to keep bringing on these, these brilliant people in our sport. 
and, uh, and, and being able to share their story. And this is one way, this is my small contribution that, to, to give back to the sport of paintball that has given me so much. So thank you all so much for listening. It's really been a pleasure, and I want to continue, um, continue on. Onward, onward, onward. Thank you all so much. Please do not text and drive. Make sure that you, uh, you pay attention. Listen to podcasts like this one, and we will see you again here soon on the Playing On Podcast. Peace.